it's got to be a feeling of hopelessness and despair that you can't get out of this. Well, you, again, accept that you're going to die doing this. And, you know, see, you're able in your safe position right now in this, in the safety of your life to think about tomorrow, right? We do not have time to think about tomorrow. I didn't have time to think about later on. I needed to, I needed to figure out how I was going to survive this minute, this moment I'm living in. So hope is the first thing that's taken from you when you are trafficked. It is the last thing that you get. If you are lucky enough to be rescued, it is the most difficult thing to find again. Welcome to Game of Crimes. So we had to take a quick break there. So we're going to kind of get back into things. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually... I think it's, I don't want, let's not get into too much detail, but I think it was interesting. The reason that we kind of took a break is you thought at one point your daughter was coming home and now we stopped and then we're going to start again. And I think, you know, you mentioned something, this is going to be a tough conversation we'll have later, but it will be, what do you tell kids? When do you tell them, you know, and how much do you tell them? And that's one of the reasons we took a quick break here is you thought your daughter was coming home. So let's just leave it at that for right now. But I think it's important that people understand we took a break for that. And I want everybody to to realize is that these are very serious discussions we're having, and we would never want to put those in the place or never have those, especially when there's a family member around who has never been provided some of the level of detail we're asking here. So right. we're kind of, you know, we're kind of resetting. And the other thing too is we will definitely not talk about this, but let's just suffice it to say that a little while ago, Murph and I were ready to saddle up uh, <laughs> and go take care of business. <laughs> Let me just this, leave it at that. How's that? I, you know, I got to say, this is, this is probably one of the most important interviews we've ever done, Natasha, not simply because we're friends, but the message that you're getting across yep. here, and I can't wait for everybody to hear the end of this, how, how what you've done with your life. I mean, it's just so motivational, uh, but we got to get, you know, like we preach all the time about getting the word out about counterfeit medications and fentanyl, but this is equally important because like you and I said during the break, it's happening right under everybody's noses and, and hell, I'm not even seeing it. Yeah. So, all right. So well, let's get back I, to the story here. Let, well, let's get back to this. So, I mean, we were kind of talking about, so what had happened was we were going through some of the things of where, um, spider was there with Amy, um, you know, showing up, beating dads up, you know, doing all of this stuff. And now you're, you're coming back to the house. So let's kind of pick it up from that standpoint of where we were leading in where we were, was leading into the phone call with your parents. So we're leading up, you know, what leads up to that. Right. So we we kind of figured out that it had been maybe about two weeks since uh, you were kidnapped until this point. And, and you know, and I, let me make a quick point here, too, because in case people are thinking two weeks, you know, when they send special forces through, uh, you know, uh, evasion school, search and evasion school, search and rescue, you know, and SEER training, what they call it. Look, there is a thing in there. There's a you hold out for as long as you can, but you can only hold out for so long. Nobody holds out forever. Everybody breaks at some point, some people faster than others, some people longer than others. But the thing is, everybody breaks. And to think that you held out even for as long as you did is just it's amazing to think about how long you held out. Um, And you were fighting. You were continuing to fight, you know, and I think 
too many people just give in and you you continue to fight, but still, after a period of time, they become so good at this. They've got it down to a science. They give you hope. They snatch it away from you, beat you up. And then now you're to the point of where anything but that life that I was, anything but being on the track, this is much better than that. And so let's let's pick it up from walking in or working into the point of where you actually get the first chance to call your parents. So yeah. uh, you were brought up, you were brought back. Uh, now you're back to working the escort side as opposed to the track side. So take us from there. Yeah. So he, he, he tells me, you know, we're, we're at the house. Um, he tells me, you know, it's, it, you're going to need to call your parents, uh, let them know how great your job is and how everything's going and where you're going to be able, like how you're traveling, everything's great about this job and, you know, tell them you'll be going to LA and this and that. And so I called my mom and I let them know how great this job was and it was going good. And, you know, it was the job of a lifetime. And, um, spider stood there the entire time while I had that conversation with her. Now, did you, were you, I mean, you had to sell it basically because you know, he's there and if you don't sell it, he's going to beat you. Right. So, um, what kind of questions are you though getting from your mom? I don't want to gloss over this because for you, just even hear your parents' voice, there had to be some, um, you know, you know, obviously there was going to be an effect on you, but some hopeless, like, well, I don't know. You tell us. I mean, you're sitting there um, talking to them going, no. Are, am I ever going to see them again? So what's what's interesting is is as as I as time goes by, all all of this will change in the sense of the questions from my mom, the how I'm acting, all of this will change. It's very interesting um the progression of what ends up happening with these phone calls and the feelings and the questioning, right? So in the beginning, there would be no reason for my mom to really, again, have these specific interrogation type questions. You know, she's more so, here's my voice. I'm loving my job. You know, I'm happy for you, honey. You know, those kinds of of things as opposed to anything else. Because at this point, you know, you say like, I'm worried about him beating me. But honestly, my reasoning for continuing to go with the program was the fact that I did not want my family to die. So me getting beat, yeah, I wasn't, I didn't like it, but my main concern was how do I keep my family alive? So that was my main motivation. Understandable. Um, It wasn't always so much what was going to happen to me. I mean, I didn't enjoy any of those things, but, um, you know, I could take whatever he was going to give to me. But the one thing I knew I wouldn't be able to handle is if he killed my family and it was my fault. Which now when you go back and you think about the minute from the job application, why do you get all of that information? Of course. That's all information fed to Spider. And then he at a point in time where it's, he doesn't use it right up front. He waits until the right point and then he strategically uses it against you to say – I know where you're vulnerable. Here's your family. And not only he does that, he proves that he takes there to you. And you know that he could, if he wanted to roll down the window, fire off a shot and kill somebody. Yes. And that's what's going through your mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a horrible thing to put any human being through. It's, um, but he's a horrible human being. That's what that, that he has. He has, I can tell you right now, I don't know the guy, but I can tell you right now, even to this day, no remorse. He doesn't care. You know, uh, mm-hmm. th- this guy is, uh, anyway, we'll get into him later. So, but let's talk about, so you, this first phone call, how long, how long do you stay on the phone with your mom? 
I'd probably say a couple minutes. I mean, again, remember, th there is no red flags for my parents to be concerned at all at this point. I'm working. Like, this is me. I'm talking to you when I get an opportunity to talk to you. You know, there wasn't really social media to keep in contact. There wasn't, you know, you're not on the phone all the time because phones were not what they were back then. So it really wasn't this, this need to be in contact every day all the time. I said what I had to say to make sure that they felt like that check-in was would suffice. And then I, you know, I did it for them and I did it for Spider and we all moved on. You know, we did what we needed to do. But so at the end of that first phone call, what was his reaction to you? Just, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, you know, good job. Like, it, you know, he wasn't over there praising me or anything, right. but nothing bad happened out of it. So obviously I did what I was supposed to do. And were, were, was there anybody else around when you're making this? In other words, did you see other girls making calls? You know, the other girls that were there with you, were they all going through the same kind of routine? You know, like I would be with Shiva and she would talk to her family. You know, so I don't. She wasn't lying. You know, but I don't, you know, I just, as time went on, you, you do realize that everyone is lying to their parents about what they're doing if they are talking to their parents, right? Um, with whatever job they thought that she had. Like, I, I think if I remember correctly, Shiva's parents thought she was like a club promoter, if I remember correctly, but I, I, I could be wrong, but I think that's, I think that's what it was. Were, were any of the uh, girls there with you during that time, were any of them runaways? No. no. How well so. did you get to know them too? That's a good question. I mean, I mean, the one girl, obviously you realized the one girl that you told, Hey, let's run away. She reported you right away to spider, yes. you know, or to she right? So yes. but she was, she was very loyal to him. I mean, I was the closest at this, at, at up until a few months before we were rescued, I was with somebody else. I was closest with Shiva. We spent 24 hours together. So Shiva and I got very close. So um, when you say you got, you spent 24 hours, she was basically your handler, basically your minder, right? Oh, she yeah. Was I mean, when we were working, it was, it was her and I always. And, and, and I know she she liked me. I, I mean, as, as like a person, as a friend, because here, here's the deal with, with the game, with the life, all these girls are vying and fighting for spider's attention. And they're all madly in love with him. But Shiva is what's called the bottom bitch. So she's basically his girlfriend. So she sleeps in the bed with him. She, she gets him the most. So they're all fighting and turning on each other so that they could be Look, Daddy, I'm loyal to you. Look, Daddy, this is what I did for you. Look, Daddy, she's not as loyal as I am to you, Daddy. So, you know, because Shiva never felt that with me, Shiva and I had had a friendship. You know, I, there was not, I was not in love with Spider. I was not vying for his love. I was not competing for that. I was there to do my job. So you, you, you weren't pandering like the other girls. You would just say, okay, I have to go out tonight. I'll do that. But it's not like you were constantly going to Spider going, hey, take a look at me. Aren't I pretty? You know, hey, can I, can I go with you and stuff? You no, but I was loyal. I made sure he, he knew my loyalty. Yeah. Because, because, well, that, I'm, 
you that s- keeps keeps you. Keeps well, you that wise. keeps your family safe, safe too. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I was I was mad loyal to him. I mean, I there's, um, you know, like Steve and I were talking about during break. You know, it's what people don't understand about the life is that it's when I'm when I'm doing uh, law enforcement trainings, I discuss what's called the turning point, and it's I call it you know victim victim or co-conspirator. Because what happens is, is that once you accept that this is your life, you have to, you start to accept that you start accepting everything that comes with it and the loyalty and the trust and all of, all, all of part of that game. So for me, because there's all these rules you have to follow. So one of the, one of the rules it's called choosing up and it's, you can't make eye contact with another African-American man. You're supposed to keep your head down. If you choose to make eye contact with him and you choose up, that is now your trafficker. And, and it's just all this respect in the game thing that you, you must follow. So this one girl had chosen up, went with a different trafficker. One day, Shiva, myself, and another girl are at, are at the tubs. And Shiva went in for an appointment. And myself and this other girl are in the car waiting for her. And this girl that had chosen a different trafficker, her trafficker was dropping her off. And he pulls up behind our car that's parked and he's just dropping her off. This girl gets out of the car and I get out of the car and I start beating her ass. And I start beating her ass until her trafficker gets out and starts beating mine. And again, we're all showing respect to the game because I will never, ever forget when the girl got out of Shiva's car and said, hey, daddy's on the phone. He wants to talk to you. I will never, ever forget when I got on the phone, how I could hear him smiling and how proud that I had made him that day. Dang. And you think about that circle that you've come back around to, which is you've gone from fighting, kicking, screaming, being alone in a room, being raped multiple times, being locked in the door to where now you're beating people's ass as a matter of honor and a matter of loyalty. Yes. And I became, you know, one of, I started recruiting girls and I was not a threat to him, a threat to anybody. And, you know, he would, when we would go drive the track and he would look for girls, he would be on the phone and he would be proud. He's like, I got my snow bunny with me. The police aren't going to pull me over. What's snow bunny? So it's, it's a white girl in the game. Okay. That looks like me. Okay. So he, you know, he was able to use that to his advantage and the fact that, you know, people were not threatened by me and, you know, it's, I'm, I'm able to, at this point, even in my life, when I meet, I don't even need you to open your mouth. When you walk into a room, I can read you, I can recognize your vulnerability and I could exploit it if I needed to. I do it now. Like it is, it is just what I was taught. I can do it. And it's what made me really good at recruiting girls. And what would happen is, is you have all these different types of games you need to play. So one girl, you know, you see a group of girls, you see the one who kind of is the most quiet that they're not paying the most attention to. That's the girl I'm going to go for. You see a girl who is, comes from an overly strict home. Well, that's the one I'm going to be able to treat more like an adult and show her the respect she so much desires because her parents don't trust her and let her live in this bubble. 
or there's the girls who want the VIP up in the club and the bottle service and the limos, then that's what I'm, that's the life I'm going to show them. So I just, what I do is I've done the three things that I always talk about. I've identified their vulnerability. I will provide that vulnerability and then I will exploit that vulnerability if they think that they're going to leave. Man. Uh, and it's, you know, you think about where you started, you know, and where you went to, it's like these folks that do this have gotten so good at it. It's right. become just basically a, a recipe. It's a process. Yes. You know, you run people through that process. And by the time you get there, um, it's like you've almost, you know, it's like, it's not that you've lost your way. You still know what your way is, but it's like you, it, you're in a jungle, right? You, you live by the laws of the jungle. You don't live by the jungle. The jungle eats you, you know? Um, yes. And like I told Steve, it's called survival of the fittest. And it's, it's, it's either going to be you or me, and it's not ever going to be me. So I have to do what I have to do in order to survive. So, so from, from the beginning, when he first kidnapped you to the point where you're recruiting, how much time expired between there? I'd say six months. Wow. I mean, that, that's a relatively short amount of time unless you're stuck in that position. And, and like you say, you're just trying to survive. That probably seemed like, seemed like a lifetime. Well, that's what I was going to say. You, it feels, it sounds short, but I am telling you, it does not feel that way. It does not feel that way. I mean... It's got to be a feeling of hopelessness and despair that you can't get out of this. Well, you, again, accept that you're going to die doing this. And, you know, see, you're able in your safe position right now in, this, in the safety of your life to think about tomorrow, right? We do not have time to think about tomorrow. I didn't have time to think about later on. I needed to I needed to figure out how I was going to survive this minute, this moment I'm living in. So hope is the first thing that's taken from you when you are trafficked. It is the last thing that you get if you are lucky enough to be rescued. It is the most difficult thing to find again. During your time, during the six months or even a little bit after, were you aware of any of the girls who were killed or did was there any um anything that happened that was, you know, led you to believe is that spider carried through on some of his threats like to so, hurt family i definitely don't want to like put out something that has never been proven or anything like that like i don't i i all i will say is is the girl that he'd went in to beat her dad and brought her back she was only with us for a couple days and then we did not see her again now i do not want to say that i think he killed her or whatnot i will just say all of a sudden she wasn't there anymore so i definitely do not want to say false, false things, but yeah, that, but, but, but you're just stating facts is that she was there right. two days later. She's not there. And one yes. of the things that precipitated is, uh, she made a call yes. and, uh, spider went and beat the crap out of her dad. You like to say yes. to the point nearly killed him. Right. So, yes. um, we'll, we'll talk about that later. So, but in this six months, um, when you moved into recruiting girls, were you still expected to carry the same workload you had before? Did things oh, change? Yes. Okay. No. No, so everything no. was just piled on top of because yeah. you had to produce you had to produce money. You're an earner now. You had to keep producing. Yeah. Well, I was like his best recruiter because people trusted me. I mean, people trust me now. I had to go show my ID at the post office and she goes, Oh, it's okay. She goes, You don't look like a bad guy. And honestly, I want to be like, bitch, you have no idea what I've done. <laughs> Holy yeah. cow. 
you know, you have no idea. The one thing my, my 14 year old daughter will tell you is I always say, remember girls can be bad guys too. Well, yeah. And that there's, there's so much truth behind that, but let's talk about that time when you were recruiting. Um, the other thing too, you, you keep calling it the life, which is interesting because we just had Michael Franzese on. This guy was a capital regime in the Colombo crime family. And they called it the same thing. They said, it's, it's called the life, you know, we call it the called the life. Um, you know, just from a standpoint, so people understand, was this a seven day a week thing? I mean, were you just constantly working any time off? I mean, he would say this ain't no nine to five bitch. And just, you just basically working people to death. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you have to, did you fake things sometimes so that you could get out of working because you just needed a break or was that not an option? No, I did fake. I did fake wanting him to rape me though. Like I, so the thing about uh, spider is he is very OCD. There was two things about him that were very well known. He was very, very OCD and he was very, very homophobic. And, um, if you didn't, he would choose a girl every, every night to, to be with. And, um, because he had, he had like six girls in one house and then he had another house that he had like five other girls. And then he had another town home. The one that I had to go meet that guy in the first time he had about four girls in that one. So he had girls in all these different locations and it, I didn't like when he would come into my room. So I would put a tampon in and say I was on my period, even though he made us work with clients when we were on our period, cause we had to put makeup sponges, um, inside of us so we could work while we were on our period. Oh, geez. You know, it, it is just so hard to figure out where to go with this conversation because I just want to go beat the guy's ass and just just get it over with. But um, well, I've, you know, I've got one question: the, yeah, the money that you're earning did you, did you get any of the money? No, no. It no. all goes to him. Yes, we are to turn it in, and and um, it goes on his nightstand every time we get home. Damn. On a at the height of when all this was going on, how much money a night do you think was coming in? Oh, oh gosh. Um, I mean, if I'm 800 to 1,000, let's say an hour, I mean, and I'm working, you know, I don't know. I mean, thousands and thousands just depends, you know, because we worked, we worked like a three hour radius. So let's say I had an appointment in a certain area and it took me two hours to get somewhere else. You still have to count in those two hours. So sometimes people think, oh, every hour, well, it was impossible to be somewhere every hour because you still have to get to that location, you know, but you, you would, you would start work fairly early because, you know, some of your biggest clientele are, is your business, are your businessmen. So they, they leave their house in the morning then they meet you at the hotel, you know, you have your appointment and then they go start their, you know, eight or nine o'clock in the morning job. So you need to be available for them because they're some of our biggest clients. And then you have the clients that you get um, when they're getting off work before they go home or the ones that are late night. Wow. So, yeah, you know, you know, and the thing is being in Washington, DC, we've heard so many stories, um, 
you know, like Elliot Spitzer, you know, client number five, you hear about other things like that. And it's like, if people only understood what it took to get somebody to that point to where they're showing up in hotel rooms, it's almost like on autopilot. It's like you show up, you complete your mission, you're back on to the next thing. It's like, uh, it just, uh, what these people rob is more than just, uh, you know, the innocence. They rob people of the rest of their lives. Um, yes. So, you know, there, there's so many places we go with. I think what we ought to do is start figuring out, let's kind of start working around to the beginning of the end. Um, and I mean, the end of, you know, things that are going on, because at some point, and you, you, it really is you, it's like things change. So how long does this go on like this before the real, the tide turns, before there's this turning point now for you to where it's like things are starting to change, the inevitability of this coming to a close of, of being rescued happens. So let's talk about that. So we had just tricked um, a girl who was working at the Macy's um, perfume counter or makeup counter. And she was going to be a model and she was from Iran because spider had girls from all over. And, um, you know, I, I never was close to any of these girls that, you know, I helped recruit or anything like that. You know, they would say, why did you trick me? And I'd be like, no one, you know, no one helped me. Why, why am I helping you? Like, I'm trying to survive over here. Like, I'm trying not to get killed. I'm trying to have my family not get killed. Like, I don't got time to worry about you and your feelings. And so, um, they, this girl, um, for whatever reason, she, you know, we just, I just took her under my wing and I, and I, I truly do not know why, but I just felt like her and I, I don't know, she got me and I got her. And so when we, when she was tricked because she thought, you know, they, they thought they told her she was going to be a model. It became because she was the newest girl, Shiva, myself, and Karen now all, all together. And we were, you know, we were trafficked all of these girls all over the country, including in the Bahamas. So it, it, it was all the time. I mean, everywhere. And so when we we ended up in new york because there was talks of um the new girl being um sold to traffickers in france and me being sold to traffickers in japan so we were working in new york and um it was shiva myself and the new girl and shiva had actually um went to an appointment and the conversation between myself and the new girl were, we would like to run away. But then the conversation ended with, but where are we going to go? Who started that conversation? You or her? I think it was mutual. We were talking because we would discuss how we didn't like um, Spider. Like we weren't attracted to him like the other girls. We thought he was gross. Like it just you know, and, um, I had always given her tips, like the, the period stuff when she was like, I don't like it when he comes into my room. And I would say, you know, put tampon in, act like you're in period. Um, so we, 
we dared to have conversations that you would never dare to have with any of these other girls because your ass would be turned in into freaking 0.5 seconds. Well, so you just got through telling us you had beat other girls ass and do, done stuff. Why did you not turn her in like you were turned in? What, what, what changed for you that you, you said you were loyal to him, but yeah. you weren't that loyal to where you reported this conversation to him? Because something, it was something about her. I, you know, it was for the first time, you know, she, she was like the Persian, you know, Natasha, the like, say what's on your mind, Natasha. Right. And the thing with me is in the beginning, I always got in trouble because I try to argue with spider and spider would tell Shiva, you, you know, you better tell her because I was constantly going against the grain or I was out of pocket because I'd fucking argue with them. And, you know, it's, I had to learn the hard way that you don't do that. And, and the new girl was kind of the same way. Like she was feisty. And, um, but I care, I cared about her. You know, I, I knew, you know, for whatever reason, she, she was honest. She was honest with me and I knew I could be honest with her. And, you know, it, it, it just was God working in ways that we had never seen because let me back up here. We were trafficked in the Bahamas. He had taken us to the Bahamas. He had sold us to some sort of traffickers themselves. I don't know if it was weapons or drugs or whatnot. And we were taken out on this huge boat in, in the ocean and, you know, left for these men to do whatever they wanted to do to us. And so that that lasted a little while. So what had happened was, is that finally when they brought us back, um, my mom had been calling the work number, but you know, we're stuck in international waters over here being sold to traffickers. Right. And so my mom had been calling the phone number. And so spider was like, look, your mom is calling constantly. You need to call her back. So I call her and I remember we were literally in the Bahamas in the hotel room and I call her back and she says, listen, I have not heard from you. I have not seen you in a while. She goes, if I do not see you in the next two weeks, I'm calling the police. Because I, I would always have an excuse on why I couldn't come home. Like I'm working, I'm working. I mean, mom, we're busy. I'm working. You know, and Spider would be giving me this, info, feeding me this information of like fashion shows she would be able to really know about. And I'd be like, oh, well, I'm working the so-and-so show. And she'd be like, oh yeah, that's in New York or something. So it wasn't really, it wasn't up until I was sold, I was sold to those trafficker, those other traffickers in the Bahamas that I really couldn't contact her because these men were on a different level than what Spider was. I mean, we, we were these, we, we. Not that we weren't spider slaves, but we, these men treated us, I mean, we were, we were their slaves. So when you said you were sold, is that just more of a transaction? Is that a permanent transaction? You said you were sold to these traffickers or were you in a sense rented out? You didn't know? I didn't know what it was because it was very different. And I don't, I don't know how much I can go into it without, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to be very PC about this. Um, I don't want to offend anybody. 
um, because... Hey, look, with what's happened to you, far away, this is not about being offensive. This is about, you know, your facts, your feelings matter. You go to the level you want to. We just want to let you know it's not about being politically correct. I think people have to understand you take the world as you find it, not as you wish it was. This is the way the world is. So, you know, you go you go with where you want to go with this. We're not going to tell you one way or the other. I'm just letting you know from our standpoint, um, right. we'll, handle, we'll handle the rest of it. But you're entitled to your story. You're entitled to your facts. Okay. So... Like I had said before, you know, you are not like our clients could not be African-American men. We could not make eye contact with other African-American men. So when we were sold to these other traffickers who were African-American men, I knew it was different. I knew something was going on. And I remember asking Shiva about it because this is this this is everything we've it's the opposite of everything that I've been taught. You know, I had to sit through. Um, DVDs of learning about pimping and hoeing. I had to listen to music about pimping and hoeing. I mean, I had to learn the game. I was taught it. I became it. And that's what I knew. And I lived it. So now all of a sudden this is happening. And I'm, 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 I asked Shiva, I was like, I thought we're not supposed to, like, I didn't know. And she was like, daddy says it's fine. Okay. Like this is, this is happening right now. Like, we're literally getting on a boat with these men, which are the kind that we're told we are not, you know, we're not allowed to be with. And they are taking us out into the middle of the ocean and doing things to us. And I had no idea if we were going back. Because as far as I'm concerned, that situation is another trafficker. And we're not like, that's not how the game was. That's, that's not happening. Like, so we're literally being, well, I was being sold to these traffickers. So I was like, oh damn, like, this is, this is it. Like, this is, this is how it's going. Like we're being sold, you know, like to different trafficker. And so, um, and it was a very different experience than with, the clients that I had been with in the sense that, you know, they were doing things I, that um, were not just, you know, oh, have sex with me for money type stuff. I mean, we were definitely their sex slaves. Um, so when we had gotten back and I hadn't been able to contact my parents at all, obviously something was going on. And, um, that's when Spider looked at me because he could hear my mom and he says, tell her that you'll be going, you'll come home and, and see them. And this was, this was towards, I'd probably say I was there about a year. So I'd probably say towards, towards the end, because when I got home, I was crying all the time. And it's number one, I'm not a crier. Number two, um, when, when I think about when I was in the life, I didn't show emotion really at all. It was only in the beginning. And then once, once he broke me down and reprogrammed me, you weren't getting much emotion from me because I'm just surviving. I don't have time to process any emotion. And the thing is, is when he beat someone else's ass, we weren't allowed to have any emotion. So you really have to keep yourself in check. I mean, like big time, because you don't want it then to happen to you. So 
for me to be there crying, I don't remember what it was. I think I was, I was done. I was done. I, I, I didn't know how much longer I could, I could possibly take, take this life, you know? And so when I got to go home, I remember just being at home and that feeling of just, it felt so good. You know, it felt good to be home and I would cry and, you know, my brother would try and come talk to me and he'd be like, Tosh, you know, what's going on? And my mom and dad, and I would just tell my mom, I just want to quit my job so bad. And she would say, well, then quit your job, honey, come home. And I would say, you just don't understand. I can't. And, you know, nowadays we're educated. Like that is a red flag. Why could somebody not quit their job? Right? Like she even, she offered to call, to call the company and quit my job for me. And I'm like, absolutely not. And I, but I thought about it. Right. But at the same time, they know where I live. They know where my family lives. They know where my family works, like goes to school. Like I, I am screwed. This isn't the type of job you put in a two weeks notice. I mean, that's the thing is your mom didn't know that, but, and that's the hard part. You couldn't tell her that either. It's like. Yeah. And, and I, I remember they tried, they tried very hard to have conversations with me and I just was crying. And I remember I got called to dinner and I was sitting at the dinner table and I remember looking at my dad and wanting to scream, you have to help me. You have to help me, please. I'm in so much trouble, but not being able to. And so we have gone from a point of kicking and screaming, getting pulled into a car, like you said, a year ago to the point of where now he can send you home knowing that you're going to get back on the plane, train, bus, whatever it is, the car and come right back and get back to what you were doing. Well, you you saw what he did to the one girl's dad when she tried to yeah. go home. Yeah. Just uh, this is but, you know again this this is this is a uh, th- this is a course in manipulation as people are listening to this this these are if you ever wanted to know what a series of red flags look like you know and and this is not and I'm not saying that in a negative way I'm saying is that you're 18 you you know when this thing started you have no idea what a red flag is supposed to look like you you know this is not something 18 18 year olds might be able to drive join the military but I'm telling you 18 years old you just don't have the world view and the world experience you do when you become 30 40 50 and so this course is you know this I say this course this podcast it's really a course it's for parents when you see these types of things happening, this this is where you've got to have those conversations. We're going to ask you about that later is how would you do something like that? But we want to get to the conclusion uh, of this part first. So um, you're there. What happens? I mean, you're there for how long with at your parents' house? Just the weekend. Just the weekend. And then Shiva picked me up and I went back. And I remember we had, we had maybe had a, I, I think we were, we had went to Vegas to work. And, um, I remember feeling like I had been there long enough to maybe mention to spider that I wanted to go home and like, kind of like, I, I, I kind of just, I, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Like, listen, I don't even know why I even had this conversation, right? Because looking back, it was very dumb of me, but I think I felt it because he was asking me what's wrong with me because I had been off so much. And I just said, you know, what, whatever I said about just thinking I, I want to go home. And I remember, I remember we were in the airport 
And he looked at me and he goes, you don't want to go home. To what? To that fake life where everyone acts like everything's fine and it's not? Where everyone fake smiles to each other and everyone talks about each other and you, your reputation is ruined. You know you can't go home. And I kid you not, I looked at him and I said, you're right. And we just went on to getting on the plane. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's more not stunned silence, but it's like it's just like um, how, how much how much damage has been done psychologically to you at this point um, in terms of the, just the ability. Now, he's gone for the point of where he's had to beat you and confine you in a room, like we said, to the point of where he can just simply have a conversation with you and talk you into yes. his way of thinking and make you believe is that you can't go back. Your reputation's yes. ruined. No, the, everybody's fake, fake smile. And you're like, yes. oh, OK, yeah, you're right. One yes. one question for you here, and if if you don't want to answer it, we completely understand. Did did you ever consider suicide? No, no. Why not? I don't know. I don't know. Um, that's not to say that later on I don't, but it, it, you know, I I don't you know, I'm not a professional when it comes to mental illness or suicide. I can only talk from my personal experience. While I am living in my trauma, part, part of that suicide can come from being able to recognize pain and not wanting to feel it any, feel that anymore. When you're living in that trauma, you don't have time to sit with all that. Like my, 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 First and foremost thoughts is just surviving, is living, is surviving. Like, how am I going to live right now? Like, how am I going to get through this? So that would come later, right, when the pain becomes so unbearable after I'm, after I'm rescued, right? Because, you know, when you're living in your trauma, it's just survival. Mm -hmm. But life after trauma is sometimes worse. Yeah, you know, and... We, we, one thing that we, when we've talked to officers and other folks that were shot in the line of duty, it's really almost the same thing is they don't notice the shots in the beginning. It's like the trauma. I mean, they're just dealing with the trauma. They don't know they've been shot or they can't feel the pain. It's only after they're removed from that. It's only after the situation's over and they're, they've been in the hospital for a couple of days that the pain really starts to come out. That's when it really affects them. But the act of it actually happening. Um, well, because they're is, surviving, they're they're yeah. trying to live, you know, and and the truth is, sometimes surviving is the worst kind of pain. All right. Um, well, let's let's keep going down this path because you 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 were we were talking about this conversation um, with the girl, the the Persian girl. By the way, just uh, I actually grew up in Iran for three years. My dad was a military. Some of the other folks know this, so I grew up uh, during the days of the Shah. So it's a it's it's interesting too because. Certain people will say they, they're Persian, and other folks will say they're Iranian, almost depending upon the era mm -hmm. of when they were in Iran. So um, th that's interesting. But let's continue on with that conversation, because now you're having this conversation with her. You're talking about running away. What steps do you take? Well, we were not running away. We had the conversation, but we're not doing it because there's nowhere to go. Like we have nowhere to go. I know I can't go home. She can't go home. And she knew she couldn't go home because of uh, uh, culturally, which definitely plays, 
plays into this story once we're rescued. So um, I that was the end of that conversation. And and part of us even having that conversation was knowing we were going to die if we got on that plane and we were sold to those traffickers in those countries. Like we knew we were never coming back. And that may have been an underlying motivator for uh, the next, the the events to come, which which I didn't recognize at the time, right? Like I think subconsciously we knew we were screwed if, if we got on those planes, like we knew our time was up and we could talk about trying to leave. But I mean, her and I even said like, where are we going to go? Like, sure. We could take the money from the client. Like he'll pay us the money we're supposed to give to spider and just not go see spider and not give it to Shiva. And we, her and I could like run away, but, and then what go where? Like, I truly believed that I am trash and my family didn't want me. So we had nowhere to go. I mean, what were we supposed to do? You know, really, honestly, what were we supposed to do? Yeah. And then that's, you're just busy, like you say, surviving each day. Every day is just about you wake up the next day going, how am I going to survive this day? What am I going to do to get through it? Yeah. And and you're not, you know, the, the, the problem with TV and movies is they just make it easy. And it's, it's absolutely not. It's, it's not easy. You don't see the police and run into their arms and say, Oh my God, thank you. Save me. Scream. It's him. It's him. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I will tell you, um, you know, this, this reminds me almost of the Cleveland kidnappings guy named Ariel Castro kidnapped three girls, Michelle Knight, uh, Gina DeJesus, Michelle Berry, and uh, I mean, they were just, they had no concept. They, 10 years, you know, 10 years being locked up. Um, and you're right. It's like, where do you go? They, they didn't even know really what to do and assimilating back in it. I mean, there's such, I just see the, you know, in other words, you just see the damage that's done so long-term, but let's, you talk about this. So what I want to do is kind of give folks an idea of where we are in terms of the timeline. So this conversation um, with the girl, the Persian girl, before you said there's some events that start between that and the time you're actually rescued, how much longer are we talking about here? I mean, between that, this event and then when you're rescued, are we talking about another month, another two week? Two days. Two days? Let's, about let's talk. I'd probably say two, three days because, you know, I can't, I, I can't recall exactly because, again, but she, myself, and Shiva had to go to the hotel that Spider was staying at. And, the new girl said something about wanting to go home and spider started beating her and he was literally had her by the neck and like throwing her around like a rag doll in the hotel room. And she was screaming for dear life saying, daddy, please stop. Daddy, please stop. And he just kept going and It just was the worst beating I had ever seen him give anybody. And, you know, I tried to go in the bathroom because it was affecting me. And Shiva said, she's like, you better not let him see you. And I knew that I had to keep it together. But then there was a knock on the door. 
and he tells me to go answer the door. And so I go answer the door and it's security, hotel security. And they said, hey, we had a noise complaint. Can you please turn down your TV? And I said, yes, sir. And I shut the door and Spider said, get Shiva together. I mean, get Karen, get the new girl together and get Shiva and get back to the other hotel. So Shiva and I put sunglasses on her, put her in a big coat, got her, got her downstairs. We got in a car and we went to our hotel. What city are you At, in? New York City. We're like in Times Square hotels. And um, at this point, I think Karen's dying. And I know that I have to do something because now I'm afraid that Karen's going to die. And so Shiva, myself, and the new girl, we get to the hotel room. Shiva's like, I have to go to an appointment. Okay, so she leaves. And I'm, I'm taking care of, of the new girl and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, this girl's going to die, like, in front of me. And, like, her eye is, it's, 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 it's bad. It is gory. Her face is all messed up. Her neck just has bruising all over it, like, it's just a very, very bad situation. And I knew like out of everything that I was going to do in my life, that it would be worth it to die to make sure that she didn't. And I had to see the bigger picture in those moments and it was her life. And so I was scheduled, Spider had made me an appointment to go get uh, extensions put in my hair in Brooklyn. And I knew if I did not go, he would know something was going on. Something was wrong. So I told her, I said, listen, I said, we, we, we had a mutual client that we had met in New York that, that was fairly nice. And I said, I can call him, but you know, I have to leave you right now. And I have to leave you because if I don't go, Spider will know something's wrong. And she just was crying and didn't want me to leave. And I had to, but I promised her. I said, I promise you, I will get you help. You have to believe me. But if I don't, if I don't keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing, Spider is going to know that something is wrong. And then I can't save you because he's going to kill me. So I get her the best I can figure it out. I get her some ice for her eye and her face. And I mean, I'm just trying to do the best I can in the, in the car ride over to, um, getting my hair done. I call the client and I say, Hey, look, I need you to go to this hotel, to this hotel room. Our boss beat her up. And he goes, what do you mean your boss? I thought you girls were here just working. And I said, no, we have a boss. And he goes, well, what do you mean? She beat her up. Like, why can't you guys go get help? And I said, we can't go get help. I said, I, I don't think you understand. Like we can't just leave. And he's like, well, why can't you leave? Are you chained up? And I said, no. And I said, and whatever you do, do not call the police, whatever you do, do not call the police. And so I hang up the phone with him because I'm like, okay, I gave him the instructions he needs. He knows where she needs to go, where he needs to go. We're all good. 
I get to the house in Brooklyn from being in New York City. And I said um, that we need to, I sit down. I'm trying to act normal now at this point. And all of a sudden, my phone is ringing and it's him. It's the client. And I'm like, oh, crap. I can't have this lady hear me because, you know, she knows Spider. So I go into the bathroom and I answer the phone and I'm like, hey, what's up? And he is like, hey. He's like, so tell me again what happened. And I'm like, you're an idiot. Like, so I'm like, I'm, I'm pissed at him now. So now I'm cussing him out. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I just, I just need to know what happened. And I was like, I already fucking told you what happened. Like Karen, she's dying. Go help her right now. And he goes, but he goes, Hey, wait, wait. He goes, but you can't leave. And I was like, no. And he's like, but why not? He's like, are you chained up? And I was like, no, it's hard to explain our boss beat her up. Can you please just go get her? And he goes, well, who am I supposed to call if I can't call the police? And I'm thinking, well, that's a freaking good question. Like, I I don't know. And then I said, call my parents. So that was the last thing I told him. And I got off the phone. So I go back out of the bathroom, sit back down, and she starts finishing my hair. She's doing my hair. She's making small talk, you know, inside I'm, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like, spider's going to find out now. I mean, I am dead. My family is dead. I am dead. The new girl's probably dead in the hotel room now because this guy's taking too long. I mean, God only knows who else is going to die because of what I've just done. And so she's talking to me, you know, small talk. And all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. And she goes and gets the door and it's kind of taken a, a, a little while. And I'm like, oh my God, spider's here. He's going to kill me. He knows. So she comes back and she goes, oh, hey, she goes, there's someone at the door for you. There ain't going to be no one else at the door for me, but spider. Cause no one else knows where I'm at. Nobody. So now I'm walking to my own death sentence. And as I walked, I just, again, prayed to God and asked for forgiveness and decided, you know, I did the best that I could for the new girl. And I tried, I tried my best. And as I get closer to the door, I realize it's not Spider and there's four men in suits. Four. And they asked me, are you Natasha? And I said, no. And we had had different name changes and different identities. And, I, and then they asked me, are, you know, are you Natasha so-and-so? And I said, absolutely not. They said, you need to come with us. And I said, I am absolutely not going with you. And that one of, one of the um, guys in the suits, one of the detectives was, was on the phone and you could tell whoever he was talking to was, was he was repeating. Cause he would then give the answer back to the person on the phone. And I wasn't wanting to go with them. And, you know, the, the police was like, well, let's all, he looks at them. He goes, let's all show her our badges. So she knows it's safe. And I'm thinking, 
this, this isn't about if I think you're real, if I think you're really the cops, like this is about my life and my family's life. Like, so I'm not going with you. And also I wasn't trying to be rescued myself. I was going back to spider. So I don't even know why these people are here. Like I just needed the new girl to live. She needed help. So basically the conversation went, no, I'm not going. And then it was like, listen, you, you have no choice. You have to come like there, you know, there was a call made to us. Like this is, we need to sort this out. And as they were taking, as I was walking with them, I was screaming like, listen, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill my family. Like you don't understand. I cannot go with you. He's going to kill my family. And unbeknownst to me, the person that one of the detectives was talking to was my mom. And so that is what she was hearing. And the phone call of the client that had called me once I'd gotten to the girl's house to get my hair done was because he did call the police and they said, this is the craziest story. We don't believe you. What do you mean these girls can't leave if they're not chained up? So when he called me and asked me those questions all over again, it was because the police needed to hear it for themselves. And that is how the police ended up at the front door of the house I was getting my hair done. And they had went back and gotten the new girl. Shiva was in there. They took Shiva because she had all of our passports and identification. And Shiva then text Spider and tipped him off. And he was a fugitive at that point. So we were all taken back to the station. And they had to really figure that out because Shiva had the story of we're just girls there on spring break. We're friends working. Uh, the new girl had been there barely two months. So she was singing like a canary. And then there was me, which was like, just let me go back. Like I didn't do anything, but I kept asking how the new girl was. I was like, I just need to make sure she's okay. I need to make sure she's okay. And they had her at the hospital getting her treated. So again, they'd put me in like a community room. They had Shiva in like an interview room. And I think they could, I think without truly understanding trafficking, they understood who was in charge and it was Shiva because she had all of our stuff. And she was the one that was even making up some grandiose story. I wasn't making up a story. I just wasn't talking. Now, was that, but they were, when, when they picked you up, I take it you're in New York, but there's so many different boroughs, but that was that NYPD? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. Uh, You know, and I got to tell you too, I mean, it's like, first of all, God bless the person, even though they shouldn't have been a client, but the fact is that they called, they didn't buy your story, right? And then getting the cops back on there to hear what was going on. Um, I, I'm telling you, that is that is one of the toughest things because part of, part of being a professional investigator is you want to be up to date on everything, but to really understand trafficking is a level of expertise. But at some point, m- most cops, you know, even Murph, they figure this stuff out pretty quick and they go, I don't... I may not be an expert in this, but I can smell that this, there is something rotten here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's like, I'm sorry. And I, I commend them for saying, sorry, you're not going anywhere. And NYPD guys, it's like, no, you're coming with us. We're running the show now. And it's like, once you, once you, but once they told you you're coming with me, you have no choice. Um, you, you just mentioned that too, is that you were concerned that spider was going to kill your family. Right. Because when the client had called my parents, when I had given, had given the phone number, my mom was like, that's our daughter. She's been kidnapped. And so the whole, 
they then have my mom saying it. They have this client having some crazy ass story. They weren't just going to be like, oh, Natasha looks like she's safe. We're good to go. Like, let's leave her. Like, they just sent other people to go get the new girl in the hotel room. And she's all, clearly all messed up. And then you have this other girl who's like, oh, what's the problem, officers? Who's carrying all of our identification. You know, I mean, it just... They did not know what trafficking was then, but something just wasn't right. I mean, how do you explain away the fact if you're just up here, girls, for a week and what's what's one of your girlfriends doing on the floor beating all to hell and you haven't called an ambulance? Right. But that's that's what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like and and, you know, it's. It's crazy because like she had Shiva had the black book with her and they brought it in and I had to like dissect, you know, for them what everything was. I'd be like, well, I know what that means. I know what that means, you know. And at first, like, you know, I was willing to tell them that, but I didn't want to talk. I was like, dude, I want to go back. Like, when can I go back? Like, as long as the new girl's alive, like, I'm good. Like, let me go back. And they're like, um, no. <laughs> Yeah. Did they take steps, though, because of that, because they heard you saying that? Did they take steps? Did anybody go over? Uh, did, did they send any kind of security or uh, police uh, officers over to your parents' house? No, my dad got on a plane right away. And I guess so par- part of the situation was these cops were having a very difficult time with this crazy ass story that the new girl and I were telling. And so they took us up to like the big dogs up at the top of this huge tall building, like on the top floor. And we were brought into his office and he was like, listen, ladies, like I have been, I have been an NYPD cop for 30 something years. I have never heard of something like this. He goes, we need to get to the bottom of it because this is, this is, this is crazy. Like we've never heard of anything like this, you know, like he even goes, he goes, mail order brides. Yeah. He goes, but you guys are like, this, this is insane. And we're just like, yeah, so this is, this is what happened. And he's like, your dad's on his way. Um, also we have, um, spider had called my, my house back home. My dad had already left for the airport because he got on a plane right away. And, um, my brother answered the phone and spider said, if your sister, you better tell your sister not to testify or else. Mm. Wow. And so, you know, we had that. And then, you know, now we're dealing with uh, the fact that I'm not really feeling this whole being rescued situation. And like when my dad walked into the police station, you know, you have grown ass men, hardened cops, New York City cops that are in tears as he's coming towards me and hugging me. And I am completely lifeless. Like, Okay, and now what? What happens now? You know, like Yeah, would you have would you have at that point if they said, "Hey, you're free to go," would you have gone back? Would you have left or with your dad there now did that even though you said you didn't really feel stuff, did that keep you there? I just I just didn't, I I just, I just didn't know my mindset. My, my mindset was not anything past in those moments. Like all I could think about is like, holy crap, like spider knows that we're all here right now. You know, like 
I, I don't, I don't even know where to go with this. I didn't know Spider had called my house and told my brother not to have me testify. You know, I'm still being interviewed. And so then, you know, they're calling in the FBI now and, you know, it's a, it's a whole thing, you know, we're having to be escorted back to on the plane, back to California where we were being held. So now we have that police department and the FBI agents there and the FBI agents were calling it white slavery. There was no trafficking term, domestic trafficking. And so everyone's kind of stuck on what, what the hell is this? Like you guys are normal girls. Like, what do you mean? Like normal girls are being trafficked. Like, well, there wasn't even the word trafficking, like normal girls are being forced into prostitution. Like you guys are not the girls we expect to this happening to, you know, because all his girls, they were all like us, you know? And so it, it was weird. It was weird that the law enforcement was having a very difficult time wrapping their head around this whole situation. And then when we, when the new girl and I started talking, they were really like, what the hell? Like, this is crazy. And then you start thinking about, to your point, one of the reasons, obviously, you bring in the FBI, because now this is interstate. You are in different locations, different places, different jurisdictions. This case is getting more complicated by the second. But when you when your dad walked in and you're flying back, was there any point during that flight where you finally realized, even though you may not really accept it, but it's like, okay, I'm safe or I've been rescued or this is the end of this. No. I'm not going back to that life. No. No. Or did no. you think that you're no. getting back there? This is a mix up and you're going back to that life as soon as we sort this all out. I don't know if I thought I'm going back to that life as soon as we sort this out, but I sure in the world wasn't like, oh, thank God I'm safe. I was just going through the motions, right? Like we're being escorted by the police now. You know, we're all in this messed up situation. I mean, God only knows what Spider's planning. He's probably coming back to shoot us all, you know, and probably torture me before he kills me. And so, I mean, I'm not. You know, all, you know, I mean, there, there's no thinking ahead. It just is like literally a robot. Like I am just. Where we at in the moment. Hey, and was uh, this, was this the first time you'd had contact with police during your captivity? No. So, you know, how did you explain away then the other times? What kind of contact did you have? How did you explain away um, what you were doing? So the first time Spider had me driving his car, uh, another car of his, and it didn't have registration and stuff, but it happened to, we happened to be at a place that was being under watched for surveillance, under surveillance for some order, other, um, criminal stuff. So I, I got pulled over, um, by a bunch of unmarked and unmarked, um, uh, cars and cop plainclothes cops. and. Um, they arrested me for not having a driver's license for showing a different identification and then for not having registration on the car. And they kept telling me, if you don't tell us who your, who your pimp is, we're going to send you to Rita. Cause this was Oakland PD. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like none. And it just... It was what it was. So, so now you're back in your hometown. Are you staying at your parents' house? No, Oakland isn't, isn't hometown. So that was like maybe 45 minutes from my parents' house. No, I, th okay. I think we were talking about two different things there. You were talking oh. about that first contact with police. You yes. Were, 
you were in Oakland, right? Uh, yes. And I think Steve was getting into is that when you flew back, once your yeah, dad sorry. came to get you, oh yes, did you stay at your parents' house? Yes, I did. So, but then the police had to put uh, the new girl and I in some sort of witness protection. So we had to, we were taken to some pl- other place because even in New York, that they took us to some other place, and. Um, you know, it was all we, we were always with the police. We were always doing interviews and, and the thing about, you know, where the new girl and I were at in, in our situation is, you know, now, now the local police were being kept in the house in California, you know, they were absolutely wonderful. I mean, absolutely wonderful. And I will always remember them. And, you know, there was no resources or vict- victims advocates. So they brought in their wives to be with us. Wow. Yeah. I mean, what a blessing that a wife would even want to do that. And um, they brought us, it was around Easter, brought us like Easter baskets and stuffed animals and stuff like that. And, you know, I remember once we were rescued being like, what's this Starbucks? Like, what, what is this? Like, everyone talks about it. And like, you know, we couldn't even make a decision for ourselves. So the the wives were taking the new girl and I to lunch and we were just like, they were like, where do you want to eat? And we're like, we, we, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, we, there was so much deprogramming that had to go on um, with myself, like just in general on my journey after I was rescued, because there were so many things that I had to relearn. Because when you're trafficked, your main focus is surviving and meeting your quota. So in the square world, once you're rescued, people want to talk to you about the freaking weather. And I'm just like, I don't got time to think or talk about the weather. I need to meet this quota. I need to survive. So I had to learn these things all over again. And it was very, very, very hard. I mean, I remember standing in line, um, getting a coffee and looking at the menu and being like, wait, do I get to choose what I want? Do I get to choose what I want right now? Like, and having to remind myself that I, I, I can choose that I want a latte and it's okay. And then I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive to my house. I'll tell you one of the most important lessons I ever learned from one of the advanced investigation courses I went to, and it involved serial crime profiling and sexual assaults and things like that is a little bit different than yours, but like a woman, you know, they talk about if a woman's been violently attacked or raped, like in her own home, one of the things she lost was control. So you have to give her control back. So it's even asking things like, um, where would you like to sit? What would you like to do? Um, and, and it's like, people don't realize even small stuff like that. And I was amazed once I started learning this stuff, how much of a difference it made in terms of the relationship and the interview. Mm-hmm. But it's like, but to your point, you had had all control taken away from you for so long. You didn't even know how to make your own decisions. You didn't, somebody said, Hey, where do you want to eat? I don't, you know, like you say, what do you mean? Where do I want to eat? It doesn't matter where I want to eat. It only Mm -hmm. matters where spider wants to eat. It only matters what's given to me, you know? And it's just, I just, I think about all of the learnings I wish law enforcement could have had much, much sooner. Mm -hmm. And the only way you get some of this stuff is for this bad stuff to happen. Cause that's the only way you learn about human trafficking. It's not white slavery, but that's the only word they had for it back then. But it's it's a form of slavery, but it's really about trafficking humans, trafficking people, you know, to do this stuff. But let's you know let's get back to talking about that too, because from the time that you were rescued, you're going through all of this debriefings, they're interviewing you. Obviously this is a very complicated case. 
Um, how long for you personally, though, before you finally felt that I'm safe, I don't have to go back to this life again? How long did that take? Years. It took you years to feel safe, but how long did it take you at least to recognize that this was over, that this this whole nightmare, this thing that you'd been trafficked into was over permanently? Probably years. Years. Were you concerned that you were going to get pulled back into it somehow? Were you concerned Spider was going to come back? I mean, what made you believe that it was going to, that you were not entitled to be rescued and to be saved at that point? So... Uh, multiple factors. Number one, when um, the new girl and I were finally allowed the first day to not be in police protection, the first, the very first day, her and I decided we wanted to go to the movies because we were like being kept in this, in this hotel room all the time, right? They finally let us leave, her and I, to go to the movies. We got, we got permission. Literally, as we're walking into the movie theater, I hear someone scream my name, and I look back, and it's one of the girls. It's actually the girl I tried to get to run away with me with, and it's Spider, and they're trying to get us again. Oh, what city are you in? Union City at that point. And I scream, and I, like, push, I push her into the movies, and I'm screaming, like, bloody murder. And then, it's like, security comes, right? And I was like, you need to call FBI right now. You need to call the FBI. And he's like, call the FBI. And I was like, listen, we have the phone numbers to the FBI agents. You need to call them right now. Like, our kidnappers just tried to take us again. How close how, – so when you walked – so walk us through this again. So you're walking into the movie theater. Who is with Spider? You said one of the other girls? Yes. The girl that I told you at the beginning of the story that I was like, hey, do you want to run away with me? Yeah. She's actually the girl that screamed out my name. And she's screaming out your name to identify you or to warn you? Oh, no. She was like, bitch, I'm here. We see you. Oh, okay. And were you guys already in your seats at that point? Kind no, of no, give no, us no. Some- I'm literally, we're literally walking across the street and the car is pulling up and she screams out, Natasha, Natasha. And I look back and the car stops and she steps to get out and I push I push the new girl up onto the curb, like, run! And then I'm running, and we're running into the movie theater, screaming. Holy cow. So the question is, is how did he know? Was he just searching and by luck? Or did, did that ever come up later in terms of how we found out? I have no out? idea. I have no idea. None. You know, I'm, this is, so for me, you know, we were talking about this. We won't repeat our conversation, but it's like there's a lot of money involved in this. You were talking about that. Yes, and there's, uh, you know, something just doesn't smell right when somebody like Spider, who's supposed to be on the run, he knows that the FBI is involved, yet he can show up. I, I mean, I, I sorry, there's, 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 you get to a point, there's no such thing as coincidence at this point. He knows too much. He shows up too fast at the right time. Steve, I don't know if what you're thinking, but my thought is, I, I'm wondering who's feeding this guy information. Right. Right. That, that's, there is no such thing as co- coincidence or luck. You know, things happen for a reason. And it sounds like, like you said, somebody called him and said, hey, you know those girls you were looking for? Yeah, here they are. So were, do you know, were there warrants out for his arrest at that time? Yes. Yes. Did you guys know his real name? Not at that point. Okay. The warrant, I think was for his uh, fake name because we did not learn his real name until nine years later. 
And, and so you're in the movie theater and, and did security call the FBI? Oh, yes. And the FBI showed up and then we all had to go back to the hotel. We oh. weren't allowed to <laughs> well, go back. Steve, this, this is why I think this, there's some bullshit involved here in terms of how he found out because I'm just pulling it up. I wanted to be sure. So I'm looking at Union City, population of about 75,000, but it's just north of Fremont, which is yes. part of the San Jose area, which is, you know, the Bay Area is across the other side. You got San Francisco going up there. But I mm -hmm. look, I used to travel to work to San Jose all the time. I was in there. I was in San Jose all the time for work. I've been through there, San Francisco. There is a lot of people. And for you to say, we're just driving around and just happened by chance to see somebody mm -hmm. in an area where there's millions of people and we just happened by chance to see somebody walking into a movie theater does not pass the sniff test, period. But did, did they ever find out any information about that? No. Nope. No. So the Dang. FBI comes and gets you. You guys are back in protective custody. He is a fugitive from justice at this point, but obviously he is still looking to find you. Yeah. Um, well, he's got the other girl. I hate to ask the obvious question because it's like it, it, maybe the answer is obvious, but what do you think he was going to do if he caught you? I mean, the same thing I would know if he was in a position right now today because, you know, over the next 15 years, I would only make his life a living hell. So, he, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm his public enemy number one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, what happened when, when, um, they, they call, they call security, you know, or security comes around, they finally call the FBI. What, what happens from that point now? Well, the FBI comes, picks us up, uh, takes us back to where our parents are. And now it starts all over again with the whole, you can't leave and blah, blah, blah until we know you're safe. So my, when we decided not to go into for real witness protection as a family, um, the new girl and I would sleep in my bedroom at our house and my dad would sleep on the floor with a gun, shotgun. How, for how long did this last? Months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there ever any thoughts of relocating? I mean, we had to make that decision as a family because we were offered witness protection. Yeah. But just on your own, as you turned down witness protection, did you ever think about the family up and moving? No. So, that was, so this, are we talking 2002 now? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then, so I'm, I'm going to guess that there's a manhunt out for Spider. You would think. There wasn't. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I have my opinion on where it all went wrong, but I'm not sure I want to go down that road. Okay. All right. So well, when was he finally arrested then? So when America's Most Wanted reached out to me, so nine years later, Holy but in cow. between those nine years, you know, my life, you know, my life wasn't, you know, when I was rescued, like my life was all messed up. Like, you know, my, I wasn't that little girl that my parents remembered. I for sure wasn't that girl anymore. 
And, you know, I was all kinds of messed up and there was no resources for me. And so when my parents, you know, asked the police, like, what do we do now? Like, you know, and they, you know, their answer is, you know, get some counseling. So my parents set up a counseling session for myself, my brother, my mom and dad, and we're all in this counseling session. And about five minutes into my story, the therapist says, you guys all, you, we have to be done. And my dad's like, why do we have to be done? And they said, you got she says, you have to be done. And my dad's like, wait a minute, but why? And he, she says, because I'm afraid for my life. So you need to leave. The therapist said that. Yes. So that was our one and only thing that we resource that we were offered. And that's what happened. So my parents chose to, as a family, we don't know what else to do except move on with our lives and act like it didn't happen. So they sent me off to college in, in, um, San Diego. How'd that go? Obviously shitty Uh because, you know, I, I did not see myself as a victim. And, and, and I have to explain this to people all the time about why, when you come into contact with girls, you know, with sex trafficking victims, we do not we do not see ourselves as victims. Number one, we are committing a crime. We are committing illegal prostitution. Why would we be a victim? Why would you see us as a victim? Number two, we do not see ourselves as victims. We see ourselves as we are a part of this life. Like we are willingly there. And so girls on trafficking victims, when they're rescued on average, go back six to eight times before they're even, before they're, they're killed. They kill themselves or they leave the life six to eight times. I didn't go back to my trafficker, but what I did was, is go into the adult industry. And for me, that was like, well, I'm making the money. No one else is. And I felt like I was empowering myself, but really all I was doing was re-victimizing myself, but I didn't feel good enough for anything else. There was what my my self worth was completely not not there you know i how could anybody love me if i was trash and this is all i was good for and so i went i had a really hard time trying to fit in in college because i'm the same age as all these kids but i have lived a very very different life different life and so i needed to go where i felt like i fit in and where i was much more comfortable And obviously the adult industry was very comfortable for me because nobody judged me. In terms of getting involved in that, was that a conscious choice you made? You said, hey, this is what I want to go do. Or was something, were you recruited in a sense again by somebody? I don't know if I was recruited, maybe, you know, hey, hey, you'd be good at this. Yeah. And the person who did that, did they know the story? Did they know your background? I don't think so. Because remember, I was not a victim then. Right. So I was proud that when I was in the adult industry and people would talk to me about it, it's like, oh, yeah, nothing ever happened to me. I'm choosing this. I don't have some childhood trauma that put me in this position that everyone likes to talk about. You know, everyone wants to say these girls in the industry are girls who were molested as children. Well, I didn't have that story. So it empowered me even more. And so it was just very, very difficult because after I was rescued, I was raped so many times, I cannot even keep count. I was seeing a guy, I, you know, he, 
I was drunk. All his friends raped me. Um, I met a guy in Vegas. He left me um, in the desert to die after he raped me. Like, I, I cannot even tell you how many times I was raped afterwards because I put myself in all these really, really messed up situations because to go back to the suicide, I wanted to die, but I didn't have the courage just to kill myself. So I put myself constantly in situations where I would just hope that I would die. I mean, there are many times where I woke up after spider beating me, after terrible things happening to me after I was rescued, that I woke up and I was so mad that I was alive. How long did you stay in the adult industry? I'd probably say six, six, eight months, maybe six, eight months. And is this what, while what you were in you college? Oh, I dropped out. So I made it two years. I got my associates. I made it two years before I just couldn't do it anymore. I could not keep up with the square world. I could not keep up with that life. I just tried and tried so hard to be the person I was before I was taken. And I just couldn't, it killed me. It made, it just killed me that I couldn't be the old Natasha. And I didn't, I didn't know how to grieve her because I didn't even, I didn't even know I was a victim. I didn't see myself as a victim. Like the pain was so unbearable that there was no way I was ever going to acknowledge any of that, anything that I had been through. I mean, I truly did not feel like a victim. And, um, you know, the, the, the turning point for me in the industry was literally filming a scene and looking at this man on top of me and wondering what it would feel like to be respected and feeling like, I don't want this anymore. I have to be better than this. Well, you, you know what, Natasha, you are better than that. I know. Yeah. Well, you were robbed mm. of a lot of things. You're not kidding. You know. So is that, was that the turning point for you to get yes. out of that industry? Uh-huh. And I mean, even while I was in the industry, I mean, my parents, you know, they tried. They, my mom would call, um, you know, I'm going to age myself right now, but my parents would write me letters and they would say, you know, we are so sorry that we did not get you the help you needed when, when you were kidnapped, we feel guilty. And, you know, my mom, you know, I would just tell them, you know, my mom would say, what about when you have children? What about when you're married? And I would be like, are you kidding me? I'm never going to have children. I'm never going to be married because all of that would consist of somebody loving me. And you can't, you can't, at that point in your life, you can't imagine anybody loving you because you consider yourself broken goods. Absolutely. And again, I'm just surviving. I'm not living. And that is the whole point of why surviving trauma is sometimes the most painful part. Well, because when now you're, you're living in a marathon. Yeah, because now it's a marathon. It's, it's, it's not something that's over in a day or a week. It's something you live with for an entire lifetime. Yeah. It sounds like you feel like you're in a no man's land there. Yeah. Well, because when you're living in trauma, all you have to, all you're focusing on is surviving. When you're out of that trauma, um, that survival turns into um, you're not in that constant state anymore. So there's these little things that try to come up and that you need to really, really push down so that you can just try to move forward. Um, 
because there was no way I was going to be able to process, um, what, what I had just been through. There was no way. I mean, I w I would have never, I don't think I would have survived it. Well, let's take from that point where you said you were done with the adult industry. Um, what do you do with your life from that point? In other words, you walk out, um, I, I have to assume the money was fairly decent. In other words, it's, um, you know, there's money in that industry, right? And so you're going to walk away from stuff. So yes. what is it, what is it that you choose to do after that point? What, because now you're on a long journey because the other thing that's going on right now is, um, spiders on the run, right? Yes. Still not in custody. Yes. But now I'm not even talking about that. I've been a victim of anything. So I'm not pushing anything. I'm not calling the FBI. I'm not, you know, I'm not talking to anybody that I've been sex trafficked. Like, as far as I'm concerned, no one knows anything except that I'm just this girl. So, you and know, were you content at that point just to have it all go away, not to even have to deal with it? I wouldn't say content. I would say fearful that I was afraid a spider would find me. Find you. Right. But yeah. as long as he didn't find you, you were like, you didn't want it. It sounds like you didn't want to push it. You didn't want to say, Hey, yeah, what are you guys just, doing on my case? Yeah. Yeah. Just leave it alone. So what changed and when did it change? You know, when you, when you hit, you know, rock bottom, you know, there's, there's really nowhere to go, but up or die. And I really, I wanted something more for myself and like, I knew I was better than this. Like I, I needed to figure out how I was going to figure that out. Right. And I knew that I needed to do it on my own and without my parents' help. And I had to, I had to figure out what, what is this journey going to look like for you, Natasha? Like, of course it wasn't finding a husband and getting married and having children. That was never, ever part of my, my formula to what this journey is going to look like. It was more so just getting myself on a path of, of, um, trying to be healthy. And I just remember one day being like, how, what can I do to help in the, to, 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 to figure it out? And again, it goes back to that whole wanting to give back and helping. And so I decided to, to, um, apply to be a SART officer. Oh, on a that? sexual assault response team. Okay. And when it got to the background, I asked to meet with them because I knew that there would be, um, I was never charged, but I was arrested for prostitution in a sting operation in Vegas. And then I knew that I had been arrested for the, um, no registration and insurance. And I wanted to tell them like, listen, like, this is what had happened to me. Like, I'm not just some criminal. Like I was in fear of my life. Like I committed these crimes in order to survive. Like, you know, so I sat down with the background investigator and they contacted, um, at this point now there is a human trafficking, uh, investigator. And they said, Hey, we'd like to bring in, bring in an, uh, HT investigator. And I was like, sure, no problem. I can, I can tell them my story, whatnot. And that just kind of snowballed. He put me in top in touch with an HT organization in, um, in the community. And that kind of just snowballed into, do you want to tell your story? And 
do you want to talk about this? And we know this is a problem. Um, is this something you even want to do? And they allowed me to pass the background. And so then I became SAR certified. And then I started sharing my story with through this organization. And, you know, I owe this organization a lot. I mean, I will always remember them. They were very, very good to me. And when I started sharing my story, people started calling me a liar. Why? Because they said I don't look like a victim. And I'd say, what does a victim look like? Exactly. Well, how am, yeah, exactly how am I supposed to look like? Am I supposed to be missing, missing a tooth? Yes. You know, um, yes. be on meth, have yes. pockmarked face? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. what a, yeah, what do criminals look like? Because it'd make our job a whole lot easier if we had right. that stereotype. They just walked right. around with a C on their forehead, say criminal, you know. Wow. What a stupid right. thing to say. So, and in fact, I was called a liar so much that one of the investigative journalists at the conference decided that she was going to go and investigate me to prove that I was a liar. And of course, I wasn't lying. And the problem with Spider never being caught was the fact that I'm out there and I'm telling my story and people are calling me a freaking liar and saying this never happened to you. And so as this continues on, I'm being called a liar. Constantly. People are not believing me. And then I had ended up... Um, being certified as a, um, I was, uh, we had just moved to a new town because my husband had, had gotten a job, uh, um, a new job. And my daughter was very, very small. She was like maybe a year old. And, um, a, fr a friend of my husband's, he worked with my husband said, Hey, the local high school is looking for a cheer coach and a substitute teacher. Like they have to be substitute uh, certified. So they were like, we know Natasha was a cheerleader. So I go and I apply for the job and I get the job. And the first year, you know, I, these girls are so, I make them so good. We end up at nationals at Disney world. We're that good, you know? And so then the, Se the, by the second year, I get called into the office and they tell me, we know about your past, so we're not going to renew your contract. Which past? Everything? Everything. And so then, well, mostly the porn stuff. So then... I mean, I wasn't currently doing it. I was married and have a family now. Like my life is like, I'm, I'm, su I'm suburban mom and wife. Right. And, um, they don't renew my contract. And so the news and, you know, all the haters, you know, put me on blast. And then what had happened was, so during this time, I had been, America's Most Wanted had reached out to me and said, Hey, we want to profile your story. And so just the way it ended up was I got outed at the school and then like two weeks later, AMW airs my story and people are like, oh, she made up the trafficking story because she got caught doing porn. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I, first of all, I've never denied that I did porn and I've never denied that I was trafficked. Like I just didn't talk to you people of the, about the fact that I was trafficked. It's none of your business. It's my story to share. 
you know, I was just, we're going to do a tie-in here real quick because I was just going back. I, you, you don't know this. I was the technical advisor for America's Most Wanted for about a year and a half. I worked with them on certain things. Oh. I wasn't. I was working with them at the time your case was profiled. I didn't know about it. I was just looking up something here, going because um, one of the things I developed was on the one thousandth episode of America's Most Wanted. It was the solution we used to help d- deliver leads quicker, faster, better. Um, and so I, I got to go back and look at some of that because I know that um, some of the stuff was coming in. You know about the. But I know I do know one thing about this is that when they went to air it, um, the U.S. Marshals had already taken him into custody. Yes. Because he was on, Stephen, this is how big of a breakdown it was. He was already on probe. They had his name. New York would not extradite him. They had his name. He was on federal probation. And when the U.S. Marshals got his name, they looked at, they said, he's on probation. They know where he lives. That's how easy it was to find this guy. Unbelievable. What was he on probation yeah. for? Um, you know? There was some identity theft out of Missouri, some uh, initial counts that he was only sentenced to two years on, mm-hmm. I think it was. And um, I mean, l- let's put it this way. I, you know, I poly- It's one of the things is the system, w- w- you know, we've talked about this before. We have a good system. It's not a perfect system. I think it's the best system in the world, but still the system fails people. Mm-hmm. And the system failed you in a lot of ways, Natasha, in terms of not resolving this quicker, faster. Yeah. Well, but let's talk about the resolution. Go ahead, Murph. Yeah, I was. I just want to say, since since this all culminated in his arrest and conviction, and and we'll cover that here in just a second. But did you ever get any rep- apologies from anybody for being jackasses? No, no, because there's only one. There's only one law enforcement agency I blame because the lo- local police they they begged to take the case. They said, "Please, we have all these charges on him locally. We can get him." And you want to name the agency? And the FBI said, no, it's ours. And what happened? Nothing. (laughs) That's what happened. Nothing. Well, eventually California did take the case. Yes, because so what had happened was is um, America's Most Wanted aired. And the story about the identity in Missouri is... He had working girls, they were at a hotel, and those working girls knocked on the wrong door, and so the woman reported them and said, hey, some prostitutes just came to my door, and the girls had gotten the wrong door, the wrong room number where Spider was staying. So when the cops came, because the hotel called the cops, when the cops came, those girls wouldn't talk but they found a bunch of IDs on Spider. So they took Spider in for the identity stuff, but those girls, those they couldn't get the girls to talk. So, but the thing about America's Most Wanted is that when they caught him, when we went to New York, they he he was sentenced to like five years and spent like two, two and a half or something. And so he didn't stop. Obviously, I knew he'd never stop. I mean, I don't know why people don't, listen to me, but that would be the case. And then about, let's see, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, about five years later, five, yeah, five and a half years later, I'm still speaking out and I'm at a conference and I show Spider's picture. And one of the officers tells me, oh my gosh, like I've been on, I've been called out to calls on him. 
And well, first officer is like, I need to talk to you. Right. So I'm like, okay. And I was like, you have, and he's like, yeah, not on trafficking or anything. He goes, but we know he's up to no good, but we just didn't know what we couldn't get anything. And I was like, well, I can help you with that. So after getting certain warrants and 90,000 hours of wiretap, 90,000 hours of wiretap. They called me and told me we have arrested him. Now, when was this? That was, what, 2015, 2016? Yeah, because 20, 2015 is was it? what some of the, yeah. But, yeah. but you're, I always just pulling up some of that as we were talking. Yeah, they got, Steve, they got Title Threes. They were running financials. They were doing stuff. Um, you know, and he never stopped. This, this is a 15-year trafficking investigation now now which agencies are running these wiretaps and doing all this investigating the local police department which city is it uh contra costa yeah contra costa county so um god bless them that's fantastic well fucking a i mean somebody there's the cat again mine is asleep over here the other one's been fed so they don't bother (laughs) me right now um but yeah no uh because this is, I mean, obviously we're getting towards the end, but they finally, they arrest him. Uh, you know, he's out, but now he's, now they start making this case. When, do, tell us about getting the call to say we've arrested Spider. Oh my gosh. I have the chills just thinking about it all over again. I mean, it's unbelievable because, you know, Every time he got arrested, it was like vindication for me. Like, do you believe me now? Do you believe me now? Even though I shouldn't have to feel that way as a victim. Why should I have to prove myself? And, you know, society tries so hard when someone speaks up who's been victimized. They try so hard to disprove that they're a victim. And that and that is what I lived for 15 years. You know, it's like all... The, the way that society treated me is the way they should have been treating my trafficker this entire time. But I was the bad guy for whatever reason. And, you know, it was a great feeling. But then you also, same with when AMW told me that they caught Spider. It's that, oh my gosh, great. Okay. Oh my God. Now what? Like Now, now, what? I, have, yeah. now I have to see him. You know, you have to testify, have yes. to be in the same room heck as this yeah, guy. Heck yeah. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, the second time around this, this, this was the big leagues. You know, I knew I was the star witness. I knew they were getting him for a bunch of charges. I knew he'd go away forever. I knew that they were trying to find a bunch of other girls. Like this was going to be it. I mean, this was Northern California's most prolific sex trafficking ring that they were taking down. So I knew this was going to be huge. At the same time, Spider was having his lawyers send private investigators to harass me all the time. And it was terrible because I knew I could just see him smiling in his cell knowing that it was freaking me out because they were finding me everywhere I went, you know, and then going back to like, getting people from high school because when he saw their defendants list, there was people from high school saying they would testify. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. Like you even knew anything, right? Like that was traffic. And so 
it it was it was crazy what god, god only knows what they were telling people and trying to get people to do and so when we finally got to trial they you know they used everything they could against me right like um i was very much afraid to look at him and so i would be sideways but the problem is is that's where the jury is so the lawyer was like so you have a degree in criminal justice, a bachelor's um, in criminal justice, don't you, Natasha? And I'd say yes. And he goes, and you, you applied to, you're applying to law school, right? Yes. So you're educated on how you know you need to face the jury and cry in front of them, right? Because that's what you're doing right now. And I said, absolutely not. I have not been educated in any type of testifying. I said, I am just absolutely terrified to look over at Spider. That so, was a stupid I mean, question for the defense attorney it, to ask you. <laughs> it wouldn't, yeah. I mean, it didn't matter no matter what I, well, because they tried to use my education as the reason why I knew everything about trafficking. They tried to say, because I went to, I went to college. Oh, I didn't know they taught those colleges or those courses in college, how to be a trafficking victim. Hey, right. trafficking 101. How about, how about asshole that I was a trafficking victim, that that guy right there trafficked me, beat me, raped me. How about what he did to these other folks? Man, I, I, hopefully, the, hopefully the prosecutor um, pushed back on that stuff in a big way. He did. He, um, he, he would object and say bullying. I mean, I got it pretty bad the first day where I got pretty flustered and it was very upsetting for me. Yeah. But let me tell you, that is a tactic you use at your own peril, because let me tell you what, you're in front of a jury. And one of the things juries do not like is to turn the victim to bully a victim, you know? And uh, I'm just, I'm not saying I'm glad he did it, but I'm glad he made that mistake because I think that worked obviously to your advantage. Yeah. I mean, he was, it will be uh, this coming Monday on the, yeah, 25th or 26th, that he was, he was found guilty. And he was found guilty on all counts of um, conspiracy to commit human trafficking, human trafficking, multiple counts of um, sodomy, uh, oral copulation, and rape. So, I mean, he, he really, they, they really went for it. And then um, we were allowed to give a victim's impact statement, and I was I was the only victim that that stood up and spoke. And after I was done, you know, he has a right to say his statement, and he decided it would be very wise to tell us victims that we were lying and that we should all stand up and clear our conscience because we've all lied and speak the truth in the court today, um, and that. He read some some commandments and some Bible verses. Oh, geez. And then he said um, that his blood will be on our hands because they kill people like him in prison. Well, well, let's talk about this guy in prison. Murph, I've got this here too. Let's talk about this real quick. The prosecution filed an indictment. The indictment charged him with 21 felonies against five victims, conspiracy to commit human trafficking, uh, human trafficking with intent to pimp or pander, kidnapping for rape, kidnapping for extortion, 14 counts of rape, two counts uh, of sodomy, counts 10 and 16, and forcible oral copulation. Yeah, I mean, 
the, the, you know, ignore the 90,000 hours of wiretaps, ignore all the financial investigations, ignore all those human, all the statements and the evidence and everything. You guys are liars. So therefore, we find him not guilty. <laughs> I don't want to burst your bubble. No, he was found guilty. Yes. And he was sentenced to 174 years. Yeehaw. Now, and you know what? Only... Even that's not enough. It's a shame that he well, can't. Well, no, it's not. It's a shame he can't serve the full 174 years. I know. Well, the downside is there's it's not so bad but the downside is they went back to court uh, they they vacated the counts uh, 17 through 21 it reduced his sentence from 175 years down to 119 years plus 15 years to life in state prison so um he is um he, this this little bastard will be room temperature that's the only way he's living leaving the state prison yeah he, and he was like 15 what was it? 54 or 55? 52, or, yeah. Something like yeah, that. So some, yeah, he, is, he was like in his fifties when he was uh, sentenced. You know what? It'd be, it'd be uh fitting if he received the same punishment that he dealt out to everybody. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's too big of a guy. He's going to be carving himself out a little niche in prison there. I'm sure, you know, doing some stuff. I'm sure he'll go back to his ways, but hopefully here's the thing. Uh, I want to ask you about that, though, because there's a couple questions. We're kind of bringing this to an end now because I'm sitting down here looking at the time, and time is just flying. It's like I cannot believe how long we've been talking. I know it. Talking. I, know it. Um, I just – well, I couldn't leave. I mean it's like mm -hmm. I had to get up. I could not leave. I sat here for an extra hour because I could not leave because of this story. And um, But I want to ask a couple things is has he – has there been any – let me just be direct. Has he tried to intimidate you ever since he's been in prison? Have there been any communications or threats or anything like that? People coming by your house, anything like that? No, no. I mean, like when I testified, you can see, I mean, when I gave a victim's impact statement, you see the court bailiff stand up because one of his girls tried to come at me. You know, they tried to, you know, jump me in the bathroom because I'm a snitch because I testified. His, you know, his girls were writing him letters in prison. Daddy, I'll continue your legacy, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, like, you know, I, I do know if he gets out, I do know what those consequences are for sure. I mean, one of the girls that was uh, kidnapped after me that ended up testifying when we were all able to come together because we received the special courage award, we were awarded that. And she said that he would say that that Natasha is a pain, is, is a thorn in my side and she will not go away. Well, at least you got that satisfaction. He, you know, he, he, he knows, like, I mean, I don't know any other way. I mean, I told him in court in the victim's impact statement, I said, you made us promise you that, you know, that we would be loyal to you, that we would do this and that. And I said, you know, and I promise you this, that I will make sure that everybody knows who you are and what you did for the rest of my entire life. That's it. What is his real name anyway? James Vernon Joseph Jr. All right. Now his name is inmate number 73965. Oh, no, his inmate number is piece of shit that should have been dead a long time ago. But I'm just a, I'm just a redneck little dad that um, I, I can imagine your father as, as devoted as he was getting on that plane right away flying out there. I mean, mm -hmm. as a father, too, I would tell you, you're looking – there are reasons why sometimes guys never make it to trial. And I'm thinking of there's some video of a father whose son was raped repeatedly by this guy and kidnapped and tortured the 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 cops are bringing him off the plane he's walking past a telephone booth and this guy just turns around shoots him in the head and he was found 
I think he was found guilty, but it was like of a parking violation. He was found guilty of parking more than 12 inches from the curb or something. So, I mean, they reduced the charge. It's like, you're not going to, it's going to be kind of hard to convict, uh, you know, father. But anyway, let, let's do this. Well, before you um, do, I've, I've got one more question yeah. I want to ask you. Natasha, when, how long did it take, if ever, that you realized that you were a victim? I, I mean, I, I, I'd probably say four, three, four years. And, you, and you're, you understand you were a victim, that your life yes. was robbed from you. Yeah. Now, I mean, now, now I do. Now I do, of course. Yeah. Um, because I've went through my own trauma recovery. I've got, you know, I, I get the help that I need. I've gotten the help that I need. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it's a, it's a hard pill to swallow and it's not because they, it's not because I, I don't want to say I'm a victim. It's because what comes with being a victim is all the pain that comes with that. Right. And all the things that I need to, I need to process and deal with. But, um, and, but that's part of the healing process, right? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, I just, I can't believe what you've been through. This is, you know, I heard, I heard bits and pieces of your story in California. I did not get to hear you speak because that was our first time and we didn't know what the heck we were doing either. But, you know, the thing is, is that, <laughs> is that you, it really, uh, and I'll be direct here, you cheat people out of a great story because they make you come in and speak for a keynote. And that's what, 45 minutes, maybe 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. You cannot get down to these issues like this in a 60 minute speech, you know, and it's like you're hitting basically the highlights. But for people to understand the depth of despair, the depth of the savagery that was mm -hmm. done to you. Uh, I mean, and we're not, we're only scratching the surface here. I mean, we haven't really even talked about, I mean, you, you got a bachelor's degree. Did you finish law school? You're a lawyer? No, they wouldn't let me in because, um, of my past. Who you got a Holy cow. You see some of these attorneys that are out there now. <laughs> oh yeah. And I tried, I tried to get, um, I tried to get, get some, um, so what had happened was, and, and I am glad to out them. I will love to put this university on blast. So at the time, um, I was building businesses in Arizona and I was a business owner and, um, you know, I was on, I was on the, um, the board for the chamber. I sat on the police department board and the sheriff's department, um, council review. And I was the small business commissioner. And I had a woman come up to me on opening day of the restaurant that I was opening up my second business I had just built. And she asked if I was Natasha and, you know, everything in me always is alerting, you know, when you're when you're doing this and, and, you know, everyone knew my story. When you walk into, uh, the first business I built, I have all my awards and everything. You see my story. And I said, yes. I said, you know, who's asking, who are you? And she proceeds to tell me that she goes, did you apply to law school? Now, mind you, nobody knew this except certain people. And I said, how did you know that? And she goes, you didn't get in, did you? Now, nobody but my husband and my mom and dad knew that because nobody, nobody knew that. And I knew when I had received that letter, I knew it was because of my past. And so 
because I had brought it up in my admissions interview, and I talked about it in my admissions essay. And my, I graduated with over a 4.0, and that, that is key when I call the school. And so when she, I said, how would you know that? She goes, not to out myself, but my husband and I, um, we were in this certain type of chat room and she shows me the picture and the name and she goes, and she went on and started talking about your personal business that you'd written and that you had applied to law school. And I look at her and it was my admissions counselor who outed me to everybody. The admissions counselor at the University of Arizona Law School outed me to everybody in a swingers chat room and said, this is who she is. And she tried to apply and we didn't let her in because of her past. And then when I tried to get lawyers, because U of A is so powerful, nobody, everyone was somehow represented U of A or worked for U of A. Had a conflict of interest. Yes. Yes. Mm-mm-mm. And this was in a swingers chat room. So they're talking about your lifestyle wasn't appropriate while they're in a swingers chat room discussing this information. And yet, if I remember right, I mean, we only had this discussion 10 minutes ago, but that piece of shit was convicted on 21 counts, ultimately 17, doing 119 years plus 15 years to life. And somehow you're the problem? Yes. Yes. Unbelievable. Yes. People just... So, and this is the thing. When I called the school to ask, the dean, the dean of, the, of uh, the law school said, well, it might have been your grades. H- how? I, I graduated summa cum laude with a 4.0, over a 4.0. So you tell me how that could have been. Oh, oh, I don't know. No, you're, she didn't know that I knew that the admissions counselor for the school had put all my personal business from the essay I had written out there. Oh, geez. and said I did not get in because of my past. Well, I tell you where mm. I won't be doing business. Uh, not that I have, but it's like uh, you know, there's no words I can say. You can't say I'm sorry about that. You know, it's, that that's hollow in terms of the the only thing you can do is if anybody's listening to this, it's like. The big problem we have in society is we continue to re-victimize victims because we don't understand what it means mm-hmm. to do what you did. You know, when you say what you just said, if somebody just said, hey, you were in the adult industry for six to eight months, oh, she's a bad person, must be this, must be that. Well, let's give it some context. How about she was forcibly kidnapped? She was raped multiple times. She was trafficked. She was this, this. And then when you talk about why you did that, and it's like it's because you – you know, from a psychological standpoint, you controlled your worth at that point. You controlled your work schedule. You controlled, you could say no to something, you know, and do your work. I, I just, it amazes me to this day is that we still keep blaming the victim, you know, for, well, if you hadn't been dressed that way, if you hadn't been walking in this area, how about if that asshole had just kept his fly up and had kept his hands off me, then we wouldn't have had this sexual assault. How about, there's a novel idea there, your honor. How about this guy? Cause I've seen that happen in court too. Too many times you want to blame the victim. And it's like that just, you know, I, I think that's something that ought to be a that ought to be a felony right there just to do shit like that. Sorry. I, I, get I on know, my soapbox. And, 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 and they should be in trouble for it. They should be in trouble for it because here's the deal. I was not becoming a lawyer to go be a corporate lawyer to make millions of dollars. I was becoming a lawyer to represent girls like me who had to do things in the life so I could help them clear their record. 
at, at minimum, that that lady should be, and she's not even lady. That bitch should be removed from her position for disclosing personal information. Not to mention oh, yeah. and, the vindictiveness of, of of her actions. It's a disservice to all the victims that that I I was hoping to one day represent. Unbelievable. So, whew, this this has Man. been a hell of an interview. What, I'm sitting. I, I am. I am just seconds away from flying out. Just going to the airport, Murph. We're going to settle up. We're going to go take care of business in one location. Then we're going to go to University of Arizona. <laughs> take and when we're going to say, I'm going to look at these people. Go, you little bastards. Natasha sent me. Yeah. Um, what? No, we're doing this for Natasha. Natasha did not. Natasha is not involved in our conspiracy between me and Murph. You have no yeah. involvement. In this. <laughs> and it's it's the same. It's the same admissions counselor that I had said at the beginning, who said, "Oh, we just, you know, why are you here? You're pretty." Well, you know she's just jealous, or else she's. You know why? Because she, because yeah, she wasn't. She wasn't the popular person. She, you know, this was. We can go into all the I, I can yeah. psychoanalyze her from a distance, and I, I've already got her figured out. Anyway, but let's let's leave on more of a positive note, yes. um, because you have done so much to help out. You've spoken at conferences. How many times now do you think that you've spoken about trafficking? Oh, I don't even know. I've been doing it for I don't know eleven eleven years. I mean, I've. I've spoken at conferences. Let's talk I, about testifying before Congress because you mentioned that too. Let's talk yeah. about your testimony before Congress. Um, how? What did you talk about? What impact do you think it had, and did it change the discussion? It did because I was I testified for Congress in um, Washington D.C. because it was to help um, pass a anti. Um, the Domestic Anti-Trafficking Act against women and children. And the thing is, is it passed. I mean, you know, great things come when people realize that th this happens. You know, it, when you see me, people have a difficult time wanting to recognize like, oh crap, it happened to you. Yeah. It, and then it's like, well, if it happened to you, then it can happen to me. And that's hard for them to wrap their mind around because that's, that's a realization. And like I, like I say to people, it's like, once you hear my story and you know this happens, you are part of the problem if you don't do anything about it. And, you know, I, you know, it's, I've testified for Congress. I have spoken. I have done trainings. I work a lot with law enforcement. I do a ton of law enforcement trainings. I have worked on special operations um, with law enforcement. I have helped families whose um, daughters are stripping in the club or in the adult industry. Um, I just, you know, it's it's what I do. I constantly am giving trainings and I've just, you know, I teach parents on how to parent and have the tough discussions. Um, I talk about social media, which I call the invisible traffickers. and. Um, yeah, I just, it's, I've just dedicated my entire life to this. And even when I had my businesses before I sold my businesses for us to move to Texas for my husband's job. And, you know, I just, I've never stopped, you know, my business just, just gave me a larger platform and a bigger voice, but this is just, you know, what, what I do. Did you ever meet Kim Deary? Do you know who I'm talking about? No. Um, you, but you, 
it's too bad because he was uh, a friend of mine. He was with the Toronto Police Services, became the first outsider to uh, chair the FBI's National Academy Associates, all the graduates of that. But he has been involved in a big way with hu- anti-human trafficking and working on those things out of Canada and with some other folks here in the U.S. too. So um, it, I, I just it's amazing that as you start to see this grow, people start getting into it and they realized how long this has been going on. I, I'm always encouraged when I see stories to where you see a, a flight attendant who recognizes the signs, like say on a plane, like you were yes. on before and says, realize this is human trafficking. They notify people, you know, at some point too, you just have to take it out of their hands. You cannot give that, that victim of trafficking a choice to say, to go back to that life. It's almost like you've got to do an intervention to say, no, I mean, you, you're being yes. trafficked. You don't get to go back and do this. Yes. And, 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 you know, like I, like I was telling Steve, you know, I'm not mad, but there were many times where I know people knew something was going on and they didn't do anything about it. And I probably could have been rescued a lot sooner. Well, I tell you what, we're going to use every little bit of influence we have on our platforms to make sure your story gets out there and continues. It's, uh, you know, we've talked about, um, and I don't remember if we talked about it during this interview, but you and I have talked about it, that we try to get the word out on counterfeit medications and fentanyl and, and all the dangerousness associated with drugs. But this is equally important. Because this is still violent crime that's resulting in murders and tortures and tearing families apart and stealing people's hope, taking their innocence away. It's just horrific what's going on. So uh, I I can promise you right now, speaking for Morgan, that we will promote this as hard as we can. And it's not just going to be one time. You know, this uh, we have. I appreciate it because, you know, as as a survivor, I am still, you know, re-victimized at 40 years old, you know, by organizations, um, you know, uh, having, having a record, um, you know, it's, it's crazy that people, um, they do what they do. And I just, you know, I mean, I'm never going to stop telling my story. I mean, um, I've been able to save a lot of victims and, um, it's, you know, people tell me, oh, you're so strong, you know, because of what you've been through, what your, what your trauma was. And I tell them, do not give my trauma that power because that trauma is, is my trafficker. And it is not my trauma that made me strong. It was my response to that trauma that made me strong. I get that power, not my trauma. Because my trauma equals my trafficker. And my response was no more. You know, he was still, he was still driving that while I was re-victimizing myself after I was rescued. And I had to, I had to find a way to take my power back. And the only way to do that is to say enough. Like, I'm, I'm not letting you do this anymore. Like, how could he have still had that hold on me? You've turned something that is so horrific into something so positive because you're trying to help others. And I want to ask the naysayers, what the hell have you done to help anybody? I mean, look, yeah. what, look what Natasha's been through in her life and how she has persevered, overcome unbelievable adversity that most people could not overcome. And she's turned it into something positive, willing to tell her story. So all you little bitches and, and bastards out there that are complaining or, or like that, if I you little bitches out there. Oh, it just it, kills me. It's like that turd that wrote. You used that word earlier in an there. email that I exchanged with you yeah, <laughs> several times. Several times. Well, it's it's you know it's you think that you know we would be so much further along in 2022, right? 
But here we are, we moved to Texas and my daughter, my daughter is about to go into high school and she's in middle school and they all find out about me. And all of a sudden I can't go to my daughter's eighth grade graduation because it causes too much of a distraction. So I missed my daughter's eighth grade graduation because I would be a distraction. And what people don't realize is that all the pain that now my daughter is going through because of all the crap that she hears at school about what her mom did is that this is the reason I didn't want to have children in the first place. They don't understand that there are times that I just want to leave my daughter and my husband because I am so sorry that they are having to carry my sins. They didn't choose this. Society is validating every reason I felt why I shouldn't do what I was doing, which is getting married, bringing a child into this world, and now they are bearing those same sins. You know, I'm, I'm speechless. I mean, it's like, know. you know, you narrow-minded little sons of bitches out there. It's kind of like, um, so what they're more concerned about is six to eight months in the adult industry as opposed to the two years of being trafficked, being beaten, being raped multiple times, exactly. being sold, being treated like a piece of property. That's more concerned to them than the fact is that you you had the temerity, doggone you, you had the temerity to survive all of this, get married, get a college degree open businesses and do stuff, be on boards, do stuff like that. I just, this is the narrow mindedness. Look, um, I'm all for people having divergent points of view, different opinions, but at some point you kind of go, look, people fucking get with it. You know, quit again. This is Steve and I have talked about this, Natasha. I am so pissed when I hear cases, people forget about the victim. We got to remember who the victims are in crime and quit focusing on the suspects in these things. Quit giving these guys to your point, the power, because I'll tell you what, a lot of people, when we talk about stuff like the death penalty and when it was reinstated, the first person executed, everybody knows Gary Gilmore shot in Utah. Okay, who's my question always follows, who's the victim? You ask right. the question, oh, this so-and-so did this. Really? Who's the victim? You got this shooter over here. Great, we got the shooter. Who's the victim? Everybody focuses and amplifies what the bad people do, and they don't amplify the stories of what happens and what the good people do. And you're one of the good people, so we will amplify this. Um, you know, I will go. Uh, I'm just sat. I'm telling you, Murph, I'm packing a bag. We're going to go. <laughs> we're making a world tour. We're going to go kick some ass starting in uh, California. Then we head to then we head to Arizona. Then we end up in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's right when this was happening was the end of the school year when I got through the whole school year with no one knowing who I was. And I, I have been giving trainings even in the town, but people were keeping their mouth shut. But then obviously someone outed me. And I, at that same time, my Sorry, whole... Natasha, I'm going to stop you. I, I'm going to say one thing. Quit saying the word outed. You, outed is a bad word. You, you did nothing wrong. You were not outed. Right. You know, what somebody did was they, they were vindictive because for some reason they're making up for some shortfall in their own life. So don't say, I, I will tell you, this is just me saying it. Don't ever use the word outed again, because that implies a negative connotation. You were not outed. You know what you were? Is, is people tried to humiliate you for being a victim of a crime and it's not going to work. I don't see it's working. So just, this is Morgan. One piece of advice, Natasha, eliminate the word outed from your vocabulary. Never use the word outed again. Okay. Well, when they had found out what was interesting is at the same time 
that they were trying to shame me, my hometown was recognizing me and honoring me and had called me and said, hey, we, we would like to name this event after you and raise funds for victims of sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. And we'd like to name it Natasha's Run for Justice. And we want to do a run and then have a concert afterwards and stuff like that. They said, but we want to do the run because you spent so long trying to find justice that they can, that run is representing somewhat of that, that, that run I had to take, right? I mean, it took me 15, 16 years to find justice and that that's too long, you know? And so, but to be honored in that way and to be recognized for that and to have this event be named after me, like I, like at first, like I wanted to cry, but then I was like, wait, what, like what's happening? Like, is this real? And at the same time, here I am being honored for all the victims I've saved and then the justice that I not only found for myself, but that I've helped others find. And then I'm living literally this parallel life of you are not okay. You know, you are this person. Um, and my daughter's, you know, getting all this crap at school, but yet I'm being honored. It's like, it's, it's absolutely the most bizarre parallel world to live in. Do you, have you ever heard the song Harper Valley PTA? No. I'm going to tell you this. You go Google it. Janine, I think her name was Janine C. Riley. It was a song back from the 60s. Jenny go C. Google. Riley. Yeah, Jenny. Yeah. Go, go Google that and get the words for it. And I will guarantee you what you're living through is exactly what Harper Valley PTA, because she ends up, this is just a patent place and you are, and you are all Harper Valley hypocrites. Go read the words to that, and I will guarantee you that is a reflection of exactly what you're going through right now. Because all of these people who want to pass judgment on you, when you walk into the room and you start talking about their issues and what they've done, it's like kind of what we talked about on the break. Everybody wants to expose people. Nobody wants to be exposed. And when that harsh light is shown on them, they run like fucking cockroaches back to the shadows. Yeah, they need to examine themselves, take a look, close look in the mirror. And I'll say this and continue to say this as long as possible. Natasha, proud to have you on the show. We stand beside you anywhere you. and every time we can. Um, just Thank having you. the guts to even tell your story like this is unbelievable. That, you know, it, I mean, you, <laughs> you've you accomplished something that nobody has since I've known Morgan. You left him speeches a couple of times, and I love that part. In fact, I may you, call we, you to do that again a few times. Okay. <laughs> We know some guys, episode 59, Michael Franzis, the capital regime with the Columbo. We got connections now. So you need something, you call Morgan and Merce. We got a guy. You know a she guy. May know, got a she guy. may know Michael already. Do you know Michael Franzis? <laughs> You know, I, did he speak at the conference? Yeah, I'm not sure he was there the year that you and I were there, but oh, okay. uh, I think he was. He was the, he was the former Italian mob uh, mafia guy. Maybe you know I. It might have maybe. been on a different day too. But you know, I, I've just pulled up the lyrics here, and I'm telling you, uh, you, you'll easily just type in Harper Valley PTA lyrics and read these things. It is mm-hmm. exactly what's happening in your town right now. But hey, look. We have gone on. This is going to be a massive thing. And Steve, I'm just making a command decision. And first of all, this episode is so important. I think we're going to dispense with our usual stuff that we do on an episode because there's this is not a funny topic. So right. our uh, we'll, we're we're gonna we're gonna skip small town police blotter for this episode and just focus on the episode because we've got so much content here. But yes. Natasha, I will tell you, and I'm serious. You know, um, anybody gives grief on that. Um, 
you've got exposure to stuff. I've got people from a national audience too doing with the news and with radio and stuff like that. I'm more than happy to help expose some of these hypocrites because you know what? Until we expose the hypocrisy that people, the way people treat victims simply because you don't look like a victim, and still we start, this, that means more women are victimized. That means I can walk down the street and I see two people and automatically I'm supposed to assume this person that looks like this is the victim and this other person possibly can't be a victim. So I'm going to ignore Ridiculous. all the red flags, including the red flag that says I'm a trafficking victim. That's what we're supposed to do. So we'll help you change that conversation anytime you need something. You reach out to Morgan and Murph because you know what? We got a guy. We know a guy oh, who's God. got a guy, <laughs> and we will take care of this stuff. Natasha, I, well, I just want to say God bless I you. Appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, I, I appreciate it. I have had a long week. Like I was telling Steve, I, I trained the fire department on Monday and Tuesday, and then I was the keynote yesterday at the trafficking summit. So I've had a very well, long week. Well, if I'd known you've been training the fire department, we may never have had this podcast. No, These no, guys no. got they, it easy. Those guys, oh they, they, those guys need all the help they can get from anywhere they can all get. The, what, what, yeah, they eat, they sit there in the recliners, and they. that's why there's no there, – you remember, there used to be, member live PD you know, before it was canceled. There was no such show as live FD because all they would do is see them in their easy chairs yeah. eating food, <laughs> watching TV. Well, it's boring. I, I wanted to bring up, you know, on Chicago Fire, they investigate their own fires too. And I was like, damn, you're the police too? Like, I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. They, well, that's TV for you. And as we know, that's wrong. Hey, but look, seriously, um, um, keep up doing the good work. Anything we can do to help you, we're a phone call away. You know, you seriously, you reach out to us. Uh, I think we're going to do a follow-up. And Steve, this is this just smacks of having a, um, a a live kind of a live thing. If you if we can do something like that, we'd love to bring you on in front of our millions of people who eventually listen to us. You know, yeah. <laughs> but really doing a like a Facebook Live or something like that where we yeah, can actually absolutely. just do a shorter version of this. But anything we can do to get the word out. Let me ask you a final thing before we go. Resources. Um, if you know them off the top of your head, that's great. If not, we'll put them in the show notes. But is there any place when people say, what can I do? Where can I go? Is there any certain place you direct them? It, for, for what? Like if they're a victim of trafficking? Human, both. If you're a victim and, you know, to learn more about human trafficking, yeah. what, you know, what, give us a couple steps. People you know, it would take. just depend on where they're living. It would depend on where they're living because there's organizations everywhere that you could Google, but there's some that I would um, not recommend. Um, but there's also always the national trafficking hotline that you can call if you need help immediately. So that's always a huge one. But, um, you know, I just, I appreciate you guys giving me this opportunity, asking me to do this. You know, um, I tell my story all the time. I'm always speaking. I'm always training law enforcement. I'm always working with them. And, you know, it's, it's very, it's very fulfilling and it's very healing for me. It's very healing for me because, you know, when Spider got put away, my um, husband and daughter finally got, you know, their wife and mom back because I had just dedicated so much time to finding Spider. Hey, we keep saying one more thing, but just seriously, one more thing too. Quick tips for parents, you know, and for other people to recognize trafficking. So, I um, mean, you know, you were, you, you, I, I love what you said earlier too about uh, the things about, um, uh, uh, exploit, provide, you know, the, they, they, identify, um, identify, provide and exploit that vulnerability. So if you have, if that child has uh, financial instability at home, then that financial way would be the vulnerability. If you have a child that you are a very, and we see this very often when I work on cases, we have, um, we have, overly strict parents that want to keep their child in the bubble. And all that does is drive them 
Yes, it does. And so that would be the vulnerability of like, you know, um, you know, your parents don't treat you like you're an adult. We would treat you like you're an adult, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, so that would be the vulnerability. Again, whatever that, it could be housing. Like, you know, if you're, if you are a runaway, it could be, it could be anything. Mine was my family. So again, we all have a vulnerability that somebody is able to identify, provide and exploit. And that's what they do. Do you by any chance have a website or a book? I don't. I don't. But I talk about all this in my trainings. So yeah, you should. This 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 reeks of a book. We got That's a guy. It. We know a guy too. We need we need to do, get you. Do a you book. know a guy? We know a guy. We we know everybody. We got guys. That's right. Does this does this guy have time to write a book? Write a book because yeah. I am always always working. No, yeah. no, I tell you what, well, you know what, you're going to carve out some time. We're going to figure this out. But yeah, there are people out there who will help you write the book. Um, but this is a story that absolutely has to be told. You, you owe it to the world. I, I'm putting guilt on you. Here. Okay. You owe it to the world. Number one, quit using the word outed. We've okay. discussed that already. No more outed. Okay. And number two, you've got to really tell your story on a bigger stage. Um So we're going to work. That is our project. We're going to work. Okay. You're our project. So we're going to work on you. All right. Okay. Well, I'm ready. You know, they Hollywood already came a knocking and tried to wine and dine my husband for a week. And let's just say that I did sell my life rights. I wasn't able to talk for like, I think it was two years. But let's just say that there was plenty of things on why it didn't work out. They wanted to turn the writer who was writing my story, wanted it to be, let's just say, Pretty Woman 2.0. Oh. No, 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 no. That's and not what it was. That's one not thing only we... that, but there was some other things like they wanted me to lie about some things and I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Good for you. Stand your ground. Maintain your integrity. I got up from the table and text my husband. I said I was going to the restroom and text my husband who was at the table with them. And I said, I don't want to do this. We need to leave now. And he's like, okay. You know, that's one All thing right. we learned with the Netflix series Narcos is Hollywood doesn't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Exactly. <laughs> That's why you got to get your story out first. So we're going to work on that. So look, uh, I, I'm serious. We could sit here with you the whole time, but I know, I know but your daughter's <laughs> got to come home. Your husband's going, what the hell's going on? Did these my guys? Husband, my husband came home and I looked at him and he's like, don't worry. I'm going out to mow the lawn. I said, sounds like a good idea. <laughs> get, get get out of here. But first of all, you yeah. tell your husband, stand up guy. We're, yeah. the, he's supporting you. You tell your daughter, anybody gives her grief, Morgan and Murph, we're on the job. So I'm seriously, Morgan and Murph's world tour. Exactly. And I married somebody in law enforcement. So, I mean, that just is the biggest faux pas for uh, a survivor of sex trafficking ever to do. So, <laughs> well, we do, we would advise you just against marrying a cop in the first place, but could have been Tell worse. You could have it. married a firefighter. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay. he wasn't, and at least he wasn't an FBI agent. That's right. right. No, he's Thank not. Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, we we got to keep going. Okay, yeah. so we got to. I'm calling the official timeout. We got to bring this to an end. Yeah. But we will we will be back. I promise you, there will be some more stuff here. So we're going to bring this episode to an end. This is an epic. This is what I think the best work we've done so far in terms of telling a story. But we didn't tell the story, Natasha. It was your story. We want to say yes. thank you for sharing it with us. You all, or as I say down in Texas now, Natasha's like yeah. y'all. <laughs> y'all stay tuned. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. I was kind of joking during the episode, but I was serious. There was a couple times I was ready to saddle up and go out and take care of some business. Um,
And for you people in Texas, I love people in Texas, but for you folks that only listen to part of the story and you judge her based on that and not what she went through, shame on you people. Shame on all of you people that have treated her the way you have because you look at through it through your little prism and shame on the people at Arizona for yes. keeping her out of law school. Um, I'll tell you what, there, there's plenty of, plenty of blame to go around and none of it belongs on Natasha. That, I tell you what, that lady at the University of Arizona, I love colleges. I love college football. It's my favorite sport in the world. But what you did to Natasha is wrong. You need to be exposed and you need to be removed from the position. You are not responsible enough to hold that position. You can't even keep the information coming in there confidential like you're supposed to. You know, and the fact that where it was disclosed on a swinger site, that says a little bit more about you. It says a whole lot more about you than it says about Natasha. Now, you know, it's unfortunate that they could not make the case they should have originally in New York. But, you know, hey, kudos out to the Contra Costa County people. Kudos to the people who followed this through. And I'll tell you what, Murph, it's one of those things. It's that I don't believe in coincidence. In this case, what I do believe that it was fate. When she mm -hmm. spoke at that conference and that detective came up to her and says, hey, we know this guy. Absolutely. And then they went off and made the rest of the cases. So, hey, uh, we don't even want to give this guy the airtime, uh, this piece of shit. So burn in hell, 119 years plus uh, 15 years to life. Um, I hope you get in prison what you did to other people. You're not kidding, brother. That's exactly what this guy deserves. So, whew, boy, I tell you what, this was emotional. Uh, just can't thank, excuse me, can't thank Natasha enough for coming on the show and just being so open and honest and giving us the raw story. And I mean, you could hear in her voice how she became this, she went from a sweet, innocent 19 year old, all American girl involved in sports, involved in cheerleading, planning her college, you know, a, a very nice family out in California to being a hardened individual who was exploited for the wrong reasons who was beat down, physically beat up, uh, and survived everything and didn't let her ordeal affect the rest of her life. She's trying to turn it around. She's done a fantastic job, in my opinion. Uh, honored to meet her several years ago out in San Diego. Can't wait to meet her again. And like we said on the podcast to her, we'll do everything we can to support Natasha and her efforts to, to get the word out. And we said it in the intro. I think we said it during the show, and I'll say it again here in the outro is – Please share this with anybody and everybody you know that has a female in their life because nobody is safe. Well, uh, let's say, let's not know. Remember, uh, there's no, you, to her point is what's a victim supposed to look like. Remember, True. this is happening to boys too. So share it with That's your right. kids, share it with your daughters, share it with your sons, make sure that they understand when it doesn't smell right, when it doesn't sound right, it's probably not right. Always let people know where you're going. You know, and if you have to use the buddy system, what do whatever it takes to stay out. Because guess what? No, who who do you think is making money off of this stuff? The cartels exactly. right now, exactly. organized crime. These people are into it. Why? And and I'll tell you what: the ones they ought to go after. It's like her first person she had to meet with to have sex. He says, "Hey, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do about it. But hey, here I am laying on the bed naked. Screw <laughs> you, pal. If I ever find you, you'll never have to worry about that again." Um, what did Dolly Parton say in the movie uh, Nine to Five? I'll change change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. There you, you go. Know? There you go. This is and this. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> you you got to get these, that your system. These guys who say that the, the, it's a victimless crime and you go out and you patronize these people and you do shit like that. Um, 
you know, maybe there is something to the name and shame stuff because I never used to be a fan of that. But look, if you knew the exploitation that was going on with these women, whether they're massage parlors, whether it's prostitution, escort services, whatever it is, and you still do it, shame on you. And for those of you who see it and report it, God bless you. You know, we mm-hmm. need more people like you. We need more people knowing what it is. And like I said, I've done some research. We'll put it into the show notes and on our webpage. Um, got some friends who are working in traf- human trafficking organizations to stop it. So um, it's, look, we, we've talked about this. We've talked about fentanyl. We've talked about, you know, other issues uh, that we want you guys to be aware of counterfeit medications. So uh, all of the stuff, look, there's not, it's a dangerous world out there. You got to be prepared. And one of the ways you're prepared um, is obviously, you know, listen to us. We're we're going to give you the straight, you know, well, seriously. I, I think we've done, there are interesting stories, but I think we've done a lot to also educate people. You know, and when we talked with Aaron Graham, how many people did not realize mm-hmm. the extent of counterfeit medication and what it was doing? And, you know, we haven't really dug into the fentanyl yet. That's another one we're going to dive into as well, too. We're working on one of the stories um, we can't get the guy it actually happened to, but his training officer, uh, we've reached out to, uh, we got to set that up, but, uh, there's a YouTube video out there of an officer from San Diego County gets impacted with the fentanyl, takes four Narcans to revive him, bring him back to life and just barely any of it. Um, and a year later, this guy still is unable to come back to work. So there's some big things that happening out there and we're going to try and get to as many as we can. Absolutely. And, and again, I can't, I just can't say this enough. Please, please, please share this with anybody you know. We've got to get the word out. We've got to make, you know, I mean, you heard in uh, Natasha's story how when the New York City police initially came to her to rescue her, they didn't even know what to do with it. They were not aware of it. So that's how dangerous this is. It's not new. Uh, they say the oldest uh, crime in the world, you know, is the sex trade. But it's it's much more than a victimless crime. So please help us get the word out. Uh, this is not for stats, for ratings, or anything. This is is a, a message that every person in, in the world needs to know about to try to do their part to stop this shit. So uh, Natasha, so honored, honored, truly honored to have you on the show with us. Uh, we're with you, lady. Anything we can do to support you, we will. I've already uh, started getting her name out to some of the conferences that we that Harvey and I speak at, and uh, we're going to do everything we can to support this lady. So thank you for coming on the show. And listeners, thank you for the part that you're going to play in helping to get the word out here. We love you guys. And we said to at the end, kudos to her husband. Uh, we don't want to describe what he does. Just let's put it. He's, you know, he, he, he's one of ours, you know, he's one yeah. of us. So, um, and kudos to him for supporting her the way you have and yeah. being there for her. So, Hey, but anyway, for you guys, thank you once again. Uh, this again, when we say it's the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all the game of crimes, this was a game that this guy played for years and now he's doing life. So, um, good yeah. riddance to you, you piece of shit. Yeah. And for everybody else, stay tuned. We will come back next week with uh, more frivolity, but this one did not warrant it, but uh, we want to thank you guys for hanging in there. And once again, as we say, thank you for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the game of crimes. 